things all the way over here. We went off on a massive tangent because yeah, yeah. I was going to say the Bank for International Settlements bad. put out this white paper about um, the cloud, and the, the the title of the white paper tells you what the um, what the authors think. By the way, it is I had, I had to look it up because I only wrote this the title. Of the paper one. is "Fuck the Cloud: Big Tech Interdependencies, a Key Policy Blind Spot." So no prizes for guessing what their sort of position is, but and why are they? Why is this organisation so, making this point? So the cloud is obviously not a telecom thing specifically. Of course, we've all sorts. This is and this is why it worries me more actually because all sectors of the economy have got dealings with the public cloud and they've all been moving IT resources in and relying more heavily on big tech. This paper, by the way, isn't just about the cloud, but the cloud's a big side of it. And their basic um, conclusion is, it's it's quite good, bits of it are quite a good read, but um, they, as you were saying at the start, Scott, four companies control 70% of the market. So it's Google, Microsoft, AWS and Alibaba, which isn't really used that much, obviously, outside, outside of China, China yeah. but internationally, 70% market share for those. So there's very, very few alternatives to what they do. Hello, and welcome to another telecoms.com podcast. It's, it's been a week and a half. It feels like longer. Mm. Feels like so, maybe it's because we're in, as you might be able to tell by the background, a freshly refurbished studio. Only what? How long have we been here? Six months or yeah, so? Yeah, a bit less. Um, but we we finally got it together. So now it's a proper studio. We've got this nice sort of felt. Looks like a, like a sort of I don't know, an old suit jacket type of material. Yeah, you would wear that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if I'm trying to look extra You're sharp. Your suit jacket type of material. Is that what they made it out of? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I've got that many suits. <laughs> As I'm sure you can tell, I've got a whole wardrobe. <laughs> Isn't that the Sean Connery kind of? Suit? Yeah. yeah, 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 like Untouchables. Yeah, like the Chicago way. Yes. Um, so uh, Ian's just wincing. Is that your first sip of beer? So we were out. Um, we were out yesterday. We had like a a, a a meeting of sort of telecoms and light reading people, and we had beers after. And there was a, a car behind the bar, so obviously you got to make the most of that. But Ian um, got a colleague of his over. Shall I give him a shout out? Yeah. Uh, Paul Rainford, who does the Eurobytes for light reading. He came over, he lives in the Isle of Wight, so obviously we want to look after him, make sure he has a laugh. So Ian took it upon himself to hit the pub about lunchtime, didn't you? Something like um, that, yeah. And, uh, and then we finished our meeting about five-ish and, and, met, and met Ian and Paul and a bunch of us. And then I was sort of strangely grown up. I think we, we finished at that pub about nine and then a bunch of people were going, let's go to this other pub where some, some of our other colleagues might be. And I thought, do you know what? Yeah. I've got some shit to do in the morning. I've got to deal with this, that and the other. Um, we've got a pod to do and all that. I'm going to knock it on the head there. I've had a nice night, Jim. I'm going to take, I'm going to take my winnings. I'm going to take you, my, my tankard like, and my uh, darts. You actually like Bricktop in, uh, in Snatch. You know, the, oh, right. you know the, the, uh, the psycho yeah. gangster. <laughs> I was thinking large. more bullseye. This is sort of showing my age. When I, when, uh, for international listeners, this will mean nothing to you or, or anyone who's younger than about <laughs> mid-40s. But when I was a kid growing up in England, on Sunday there were like three channels. Well, there were three channels all the time. And on Sunday, there'd be fuck all to watch on telly. And half of it would be like re- religious programming or horse racing or some bullshit bullseye. like that. Yeah. And there's one thing called Bullseye, which was a darts-themed game show. Wow. Yeah. Oh, it was... <laughs> and it, sense, would never make, it would never... It would never last. It's, it's of its time, yeah, and and it was hosted by this sort of old school seventies sort of comic, you know, the sort of one who would half of his jokes now would just get him cancelled yeah. w- within a <laughs> syllable, um, and 
and then and they would all be quite earnest and, and people would have to throw darts in order to win prizes. And then they'd get a chance of gambling everything they'd accumulated over the course of the whole programme to go for the big prize, which is normally something really useless, like a speedboat. Yeah. For these people who live in a council estate in Birmingham. <laughs> um, and uh, and then, but he'd give them a choice. He'd go, he'd go you know, you, you can gamble everything oh, and you can maybe fuck everything up. I don't know what his accent <laughs> like was. This is a generic like, yeah. northern accent. Um, and they go, and they go, no, Jim, I think we've had a good day. We got our we got our darts. They'd, they'd get some branded darts and they'd get a tankard, which is like a like a pewter sort of um, cup that people drank beer out of in the olden days, and whatever other tat it's, it's better than they'd a accumulated. Bank and pen. <laughs> yeah, well, that sort of thing. Whatever sort of few hundred quid they got. We had a good day. We're going to take our winnings. We're going to go home. That was me last night at about eight thirty nine o'clock. I've, I've had a good night. But Ian wasn't having any of it. He'd been out for about eight or nine hours. He's just getting warmed up. I couldn't really not go out. No, exactly. um, You you were with Paul. Paul I actually blame Paul anyway for the condition I was in earlier because we we had lunch and he was... He was going through the drink like yeah. He was, he was running he was taking out. a run up, was he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had a couple of beers at the. Um, he seemed all right when, when I met him in a pub. He was drinking that that vice beer. But he I was... noticed in the pub afterwards, like before we met any of you, we watched a bit of the tennis. Yeah, and his pint was almost gone as soon as I bought it. it just, he, he was just in the mood. Of, he was just he was making just most of it. So, Paul, it's your fault. I feel this bad if you're watching. Yeah. So, well done, Paul. I do remember at one stage uh, you had a little glint in your eye and you were going, uh, "Should we get some uh, bourbons in?" And I, was, oh. and I was going, I was going, Ian, how long have you been out since? And you were like, you know, lunchtime. And I was going, are you sure that's a good idea? And you sort of went, yeah, fair did, enough. Did end up having a, a Jameson's. Did you? That double Jameson's at the end. That's probably... Yeah, your own worst enemy. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm feeling all smug and healthy and, and not jaded. Um, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. I've got half a chance. I've got an outside chance that I'm going to get free tickets to Pearl Jam in Hyde Park tonight. Yeah, so, how, how are you getting there? How am I getting there? Yeah, how are you so, getting a free ticket? Oh, I see. I just heard on a, on a group someone knows someone who's presumably had some people pull out. Oh, um, but we'll see. It might not happen. Um, so that that could that could could end up being large. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Lovely day for it though. God, it's hot. Yeah, you've you even got your shorts on. I got yeah, I got it's my shorts on. It's about to be even better next week. I know next next week's going to be four. What a scorcher! Than this is it? Th- no, thirty two. Yeah. yeah, that's not better. That's worse. This is this is. No, right. and do you know what I've got? Like I'm not going to say who the client is, but I've got to do a commercial video shoot on Tuesday, and I'm going to have to wear a fucking whistle, mm. and that's not that's not going to help at all. Uh, it's a suit for our American audience. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know what rhyme slang is, Pierre? <laughs> whistle and flute. There we go. He's learning. Um, so that's not going to be nice. Um, but there we go. Um, right. What else? Oh yeah, we got we got a sort of bribe of the week to refer to which is uh, related to one of the items and it might be related to one of the items yeah which is Vodafone they took us out to dinner uh, a really nice place called um, oh shit what's it called Balthazar Balthazar there we are French French restaurant in um, Covent Garden I'll tell you what the food was really good I really enjoyed that it was especially a starter that crab crab was excellent it was naughty it was Um, uh, my steak was a bit overcooked I'm afraid to say. Yeah, it was a little bit, but it was still quite tender. Was still, yeah, it's good. I think yeah, it was fillet, wasn't it? Yeah, it was good. Um, no, that was all. That was all nice. And, and that chocolate gooey thing afterwards. And there was, that was pretty chocolate good. naughtiness for pudding. Um, and yeah, and I just think, apart from the fact that obviously being taken out for a, a moderate, reasonably posh dinner is nice in and of itself, I, I do think fair play to Vodafone that they keep doing these things. It's about uh, at least twice a year. I yeah, think they're doing yeah. it. And and they, you know, I've got to say. The, the sort of more formal presentations part of it 
doesn't necessarily rock my world. Yeah. They they kind of reciting you know bullet points of what they've been up to in the last six months. I suppose they've got to do it, mm. but it's not that thrilling. And it normally needs to be sort of drinking too I much. I wasn't overly to happy with the seating it. arrangements. <laughs> well, without getting into too many details. Well, I just sort of got shunted at one end. Yeah, with me. Yeah. Stop moaning. Yeah, I know, I know, but it just makes it hard to ask questions, doesn't it? Well, you still managed. Yeah, I know, but you just got to shout. You got to project, project. Just write it on a napkin and throw it. Yeah. Well, some of the people more in the sort of vicinity of the Said executives weren't asking questions. So, I mean, they didn't know that was going to happen. I suppose before they yeah. arranged it, but. Um, but no, I, the other thing, fair play to them. While their formal presentation bit's a bit dry, um, and I'm sure they'll be the first to admit that. Um, they do. They are completely open to everyone throwing questions at them. You did, I did. Ray was there, he's throwing questions at them. Yeah. Um, and and I just think good for them. They don't have to. They can't. They can't run away. I mean, one of their PR handlers every now and then tried the old. Uh, we'll get back to you on that thing. Um, but uh, but on the whole, I think that's a, that's a good effort. And that's obviously, I encourage effort. people to take me. To I think it's really good they do that. Actually, you know. Um, hmm. Because I thought the content was pretty good, actually, as well. Yeah, and, um, and we're going to get into that because uh, our yeah. main our main topic, which we'll come to in a sec, is going to be cloud, and there was some cloudy stuff, and there's some cloudy news that yeah. we've written up. I mean, I think I was complaining before we went that I don't like these things right. where it's a press conference sort of merged. It's into not like you're complaining, but um, but then once, but then once we were there, I was thinking actually got quite a lot out of that. Yeah, and then we've got to give um, a great shout out to Lulu and especially Heather mm. on the PR agency side. Tavistock, isn't it? Yeah, Tavistock. Yeah. Uh, so they both came out, but Heather kept us out till like about midnight. So I didn't nice feel very well that morning either. Not to her. She was, she was good fun. You what? Didn't feel very well the, the morning no. that either. No, I, I I got that thing where I was like, God, because we went to a pub after, and then we went to like a, a club, a sort of club. Yeah, yeah, and I was thinking, which is a bit unusual these days, really, when you're getting into it was your a bit late forties. Like we certainly weren't the youngest people in the room, were no. we? Um, <laughs> But but that was all on Heather, so thanks a lot for that, Heather. That was good fun. Um, then, I, then I had an Uber disaster and had to oh, and get bus night back. buses and mm. stuff. Yeah. It's really hard to get Uber in central London. Well, I tried to get one. I was waiting for half an hour. Yeah, and then, they, the, then the driver eventually phoned me. I thought I cancelled it and went, where yeah. are you? And I was like, I'm sorry, I They, they can it. never stop in any areas. Yeah. yeah, Uber's supposed to be... The good thing about Uber is supposed to be this sort of perma-connected data transparency. You know what's going on. But sometimes you don't know what's going yeah. on. I mean, I have a nightmare. I've heard a few times where I've tried to get an Uber when I've been really pissed and I've just, my brain's just not been functioning well enough. I just, well, I was, I was, it was functioning enough to see that there just basically weren't, it wasn't anybody picking it up. So oh, I was I waiting see. for ages. For okay, it, so, so it's it not like someone had accepted it and then they didn't Then someone up. accepted it and then they dropped it, as they do occasionally. They and can there was do nobody that. else. And it was like, and I was standing there thinking, 10 minutes is gone. I want to go oh. home. So mm. I just ended up. I mean, you think it wasn't that late. It was like 12 or 1 o'clock or something. And then I think I walked off to get to get the bus. I was miles away by the time I went to the bus stop. And then someone picked it up. Mm. And I thought I'd, I'd stopped it. But yeah. anyway, we're we, we getting off. You got there the eventually. Um, so, yeah, so long and short of it, you're feeling a bit rougher than I am today because you, you went the duration yesterday, didn't you? Mm. And so that, that's got to go down as like a sort of 10, 11 hour session, which isn't a bad effort, especially if you, especially if you finished it off with some Jamesons. Yeah. We were we were feeling. Um, I think we might have reflected on the last pod. We were feeling it after we were drinking those Irish whiskies on the pod that time with uh, oh, Jarlith, weren't bad. we? Yeah. So uh, that that's not a good idea. <laughs> drinking Irish whiskey at lunchtime is not a good idea. <laughs> what was it? That or the uh, Rakuten beer? The oh, uh, that was, that we didn't drink. Just, I didn't have much of that. Though, the beer that, that was just painful. On, so. 
Yeah. Thanks for that, Jeff. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think we've spoken enough shit. But yeah, we will we'll come back to that Vodafone thing. But yeah, nod to them. That was that was good effort. Keep that coming. Um posh restaurants, going out after with fun people. What what's not to like? Yeah, exactly. Um Right. Uh oh yes. Yeah. What we're we gonna chat about. So we're gonna talk about cloud. There's a bunch of things. You know, as, as ever, we've probably said this loads of times on the pod. This this year has just not been a, a year for really headline. Oh my god, stories, has it? It's just lots. Well, of, it hasn't in the last few more, months. No, more just more sort of incremental, steady mm. trade things, but not. You know, like I was saying, we, we had a, the reason. One of the reasons we were in town yesterday is that we had a team meeting, and I was just reporting on the head, editorial side, and I was like, compared to previous years, you know, there just hasn't been many things that go viral because it's just not big stories. Yeah. You know, like 2020, and we had the pandemic kicking off, and Mo Congress getting cancelled, and all the drama with Huawei, and all yeah. kinds of stuff going on. Um, and I suppose the, the 5G, you know, people are a bit bored of 5G now, so you don't get so many clicks off that. Yeah. So, yeah, we're at that kind of phase. Um, I mean, I, I, if there's an equivalent one this year, I would say it's the supply chain problems. Right. That is the theme of 2022 for the telecom industry. Many industries, I guess, yeah. Many industries, but it really ties in with ours because it's mm. obviously very heavily dependent on chips and, and stuff. So Yeah, it's just harder it's, to get a big story out of it, isn't it? It is hard to get a big story, but I'm not, I think I've written a few things cool. that, are, that nod to the obscure side of it where it's kind of interesting anyway. So S- you speaking, can pick up Speaking stuff. of uh, supply chain, did you see, you know Michael Burry, the guy who... Yeah, yeah. the um, big short guy. Yeah. He had a tweet saying he expected China to invade Taiwan anytime soon now. And I said, if you think the supply chain is fucked now, imagine yeah. how it's going to be yeah. if China invades. Was Michael Burry the Christian Bale, the sort of spectrum yeah. one? Yeah, yeah. Right, so he's the sort of person that you Hedge. would believe. Because some people, you know, Hedge some fund. investors, if they put information out there, you assume they're, they're trying to manipulate the market, don't you? Well, there's, there's but an he's interesting also... ASML story this week that ties in with that, which is the other thing I was oh, right. thinking is that of the talking Dutch, about. The ultraviolet lithography one. They're the, one of the most important companies in the yeah. world that nobody's ever heard of. Okay, well, maybe we, we, hadn't, we yeah. hadn't slated that to talk about, but we can easily go off on tangents. But I wouldn't, well. I mean, Michael Burry has been saying that the Tesla stock will crash, you know, plummet for like years now. It's right. never happened. So. so it's the sort of stock clock. Yeah, maybe he's right. It's just that it's well, it's hard. like you get that, like with journalists. You know, Bob Woodward had one big scoop for Watergate, and he hasn't done shit since. Mm. But everyone still listens to him. Mm. So maybe Burry's like that, and that's not to take away from the fact that he called. Um, How old is he now? The, who Woodward? Yeah, yeah but, they're, must, but they're well. They were young men at Watergate, but that was the early seventies. Their Watergate that stuff was fucking was, fifty years ago. So he must be seventy odd. Their Watergate stuff was was like a sort of series of scoops, really. I mean, they were digging away at that for years yeah. and writing about it. So, yeah, and it wasn't. Yeah. I mean, they were the first. They're the ones who get the acclaim, but people like New York Times followed up on it a lot. But they're the ones who had deep. Seymour Hersh, Mark I think. Felt. Yeah. They're the ones who had that um, insider in the FBI feeding them. No, but I, I think Seymour Hersh got some stuff as well that right. was, that was wonder, original for him. They got the first one, obviously. So yeah, hmm. who uh, was a uh, deep throat for Partygate? Deep throat's identity is known, isn't it? Yeah, no, no, he's no, asking I mean, about Partygate. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, we assume Dominic Cummings, don't we? Oh yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Uh, he certainly uh, likes. <laughs> well, in fact, we might touch on. Obviously, we don't talk about politics for its own has sake, it but it has been yet? quite fun this week in the UK. Yeah. So we might we might nod to that. Anyway, um, so we're going to talk. What did I say? The cloud. We're talking about cloud. Then we think we might talk. We'll see how it goes. I mean, there's there's Telecom Italia have got some sort of major corporate dicking about going on that's yeah. got some interesting stuff, and and it says a little bit about the broader industry. Mm-hmm. So we'll probably talk about that, but we might keep it quite fluid because in the course of this intro, 
we come up with some other stuff that we might want to chat about. So, you know, yeah. stick a pin in, in all that supply chain and, and all that jazz. Um, and maybe that'll come up in the last one, which is a little bit political. It's a bit of a sort of Scott, Scott rant thing. Um, there was just a, something I wrote up this morning. A government uh, has come up with an amendment to this online safety bill that I've moaned about on the pod before because I think it's really censorious. It basically is trying to give the government power to <coughs> censor speech on the internet, even beyond what is legal or illegal outside of the internet. Yeah. So stuff, stuff that we could say, um, you know, in print or something like that in a paper could still be legally, could be illegal on the internet because they're trying to create a separate set of rules for the digital domain. So there's all sorts of bullshit going on there. Um, and uh, so I'm going to talk about that, and that might lead on to other sort of more legal governmental stuff. Or it might lead to the pub. Or it might lead to the pub. <laughs> Look at you, you're perking up already after you've had a couple of sips. <laughs> it's already talking a good game. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that really. And then just to remind you that if you're watching this on the site or on YouTube or on Facebook, you can also listen to it on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and loads of other podcasting platforms. Did I have anything else that I was... I thought I'd added another little call to action on, on there, but I've forgotten. Don't matter. Newsletter? Newsletter. Oh yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's what I do. And, and I'm just reminding you that if you like all the shit that I talk, then sign up to the telecoms.com newsletter. And if you like all the shit that Ian talks, then sign up to the light reading newsletter. Obviously sign up to both, if only to see how much better a journalist I am than Ian on a day-to-day <laughs> basis. It's only $5 a month. <laughs> no, it's free. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so, uh, Cloud, where should we start? I mean, should we start with the Vodafone stuff? Because yeah. we've just nodded to him in dinner and we, and we have, I didn't write it up. Well, why don't you talk about Angie's take on it? Because I didn't write okay. it up either. I got, I got one of our freelancers too. Okay. I am sort of vaguely aware because they've had this analytics partnership with Google for a while. Yeah. It's sort of a, a, an adjunct to that, isn't it, really? Or something that's come out of that, I think. Yeah, so they have, as you say, uh, they, they've been flirting with each other. So this is this comes under the sort of broader category of something we've spoken about a while, um, including the last pod where where the, the telecoms... Um, Exposure to the public cloud came up because um, what uh, Erland's offers obviously requires telecoms to be quite intimate with the public cloud. And, you know, for the record, we've said it countless times before, but for the record, you know, Ian and I, uh, while acknowledging that the public cloud offers all sorts of tools and scalability and flexibility and, and all this stuff that, that you probably can't get if you're strictly on-premise um, in your cloud, like a sort of local as opposed to public cloud, uh, we still worry that there's because there's only three main players. AWS is the biggest, and then sort of I don't know who's. I think Azure is probably the second biggest. Yeah. Microsoft Azure, and then Google Cloud. We just worry that there's this oligopoly, and and that people are, are, are surrendering, that companies are surrendering too much autonomy to them. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think you know. I always cite Parler, and you know, and you can take the piss because Parler's a sort of fringe, slightly, slightly sort of politically loony. Um, site. It's not necessarily designed that way, but any alternative social media sites tend to attack, attract slightly loony ones because they're normally the ones that have been kicked off Facebook and Twitter and YouTube. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, and basically, a couple of two or three years ago, AWS just pulled the plug on them unilaterally. Just we don't like we don't like the cut your jib. See you later. And so everyone who entrusts their their digital their technological estate to one of these public cloud players, it's basically surrendering control. I think the analogy we use is, to some extent, renting rather than owning a property. 
Um, but, you know, but there's a trade-off, and we understand it. It's like a kind of, I've, I've said it at times, I think when Dish went all in on AWS, I called it a Faustian pact. I mean, I was being deliberately overdramatic, because a Faustian pact refers to sort of selling your soul to the devil in order to be immortal or whatever that it was. Um, but it's a trade-off. You know, you know... Christopher Marlowe. You what? Christopher Marlowe, isn't it? Robert, Robert Johnson. First. Yeah, Crossroads, Robert Johnson. I, also, I always think of um, a picture of Dorian Gray on that one mm. as well. Oscar Wilde. There we go. Um, which is which quite good. Are we, are we literary now? I know. Look Reading at off all these famous um, writers. I, it's a good. I, I like. You know, I like books with a really clear metaphor in them. And yeah. picture of Dorian Gray doesn't get yeah, any bit clearer than that. This sort of picture that ages while Dorian Gray is just having a laugh. Um, anyway, so that, there's that. All, all those, all those um, poncy illusions we've just made. Um, but the flip side, and so this gets to Andrew's coverage of this story. The, the headline was, uh, Vodafone and Google's new mega AI is the best of tech and telco collaboration. Um, and, and basically, there's this, there's this thing, you know, uh, for at least, I think, about 18 months, Google and Vodafone have been sort of working together on something that's now branded AI Booster, mm. um, which in, in Andrew's... Uh, uh, first paragraph says an artificial intelligence platform plugged into Vodafone's network, which can handle thousands of AI models a day across its 18 country footprint. So there's a little bit of possible reference to some of the stuff that came up in our dinner because our dinner is kind of an update on stuff that Vodafone's done before, where especially they're talking about how into IT and software and all that sort of thing they are because that allows Vodafone's obviously got as as that first paragraph um, indicates they've got 18 countries. And they're moving to a model where they want a sort of centralized, shared IT function across all those countries. They don't want duplication. They want they want one sort of central brain, some sort of Borg coming up with cleverness, and then they sort of then they sort of farm that cleverness off to these various different com- countries, which kind of makes sense. Why have everyone constantly trying to reinvent the wheel when you can just have one dedicated resource doing it? And so presumably that's where some of these AI, AI models come in. You know, it could be. AI, both in terms of maintaining the network, you know, predictive analytics, security, that sort of thing. And it could also possibly be AI products that, that they sort of bundle into phones or that they offer th- with contracts, you know, I don't know, um, personal assistance or translation services or whatever clever shit you can do with AI. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and then Andrew just sort of went quite deep on it, did quite a lot of analysis. Um, but the long and short of it, was I thought a perfectly valid sort of counter to where I certainly and and and, so, and you sometimes we can we can be a bit sort of knee jerk like oh shit they're selling more of their soul mm. to to a hyperscaler, but Andrew sort of said in this case he thinks it's probably a good move because it's a win win. Um, you know Google obviously gets some business, but Vodafone gets to do all this clever shit that they wouldn't be able to do otherwise. So, you know, I don't know, Ian, you, you said you got a freelancer to it. I don't know to what extent you were you were aware of the story. I, mean, I suspect, sort of yeah, I don't it. think our take on it was quite as deep as, okay. as, as Andrew's. Um, it was just a sort of basic details. But I'm aware of, it didn't surprise me when I saw the, the news because um, they've had this partnership with Google that goes back a few years um, on AI and analytics. I think they've built some platform together that they call Neuron or something like that right. or... I've probably got the name wrong, but um, and this seems to be a sort of... It'll be something it, sort of slightly disturbing. Yeah, I mean, this is... Yeah, it is slightly disturbing, and, and this is like a, an improvement of it, really. Yeah. But the, the point is that Google does the 
it's almost, I mean, this is why I'm worried about it. This is why I don't necessarily see it as a positive. And I take all the stuff that Andrew r- yep. wrote that, yeah, of course, it's business for Google. No, I'm going to tell Andrew you're slapping And um, it's, uh, it's not, it, you know, you can see the attractions from a service perspective of um, if it helps you address network faults early or if it tells you what customers want somewhere, you know, yeah. before they even realise it themselves, perhaps. Indeed. But I, I just think it's, um, it's, <sighs> I mean, AI is a bit worrying anyway, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, this isn't just to do with the cloud, I think, this particular one. I think there's a lot of ethical issues. You're with getting more into the sort of uh, Terminator, da-dum-dum. Yeah, totally. So I think, I think one of the concerns about AI and reliance on AI platforms, and this is something I haven't written about specifically for a while, but when we used to go to trade shows, more people used to, who were in the software side of things, talked about this, is entrusting sort of decision-making to AI. And, you know, do, do you... What's going on? Pierre's having he's, a go He's worried me. your phone's making a buzzy noise. Is it? Uh, bloody phone. How is it now? Gone. Um, it's too close to yeah, the Yeah, it's like you're sort of entrusting the decision-making to the to this this thing, this this machine, um, where at one stage, you know, the that would have been done by senior, deci- senior technology decision-makers. And, you know, where... He, where does, where does the buck stop, basically? Well, does it, the buck stop with an AI system? Or so does you it talk about like sort of ethics and stuff. I mean, who decides, I think, this is a little bit of a tangent, but who decides as a question is in some ways one of the ultimate ethical and legal and civilizational questions. Yeah. It basically concerns power. Yeah, totally. You know, who decides? If I get to decide what you can do, then I've got power over you. Yeah. You know, and it would be absurd. For you to sort of have to check in with me and go, Scott, I was thinking of buying a new car. Is that all right? You know, that would obviously be ridiculous, wouldn't it? Yeah. But, you know, that is power. And and I'm totally with you. You know, if if a non-human is actually making decisions, then what the fuck? Yeah. I mean, that, and I know that, like, Google and other people, they have entire... Anyone involved in AI have ethics departments. Although I think in Google's case, that's gone a bit wrong. There was well, one. Uh, I don't think it's very well thought through rogue. any of this. I think the technology's got ahead of where the yeah. ethics side is. And I don't think. I wonder how much of a shit they actually give about ethics, whether they're just paying lip service and to it. I think the other thing that's a bit worrying at the moment as well is that AI. You know, we went through this sort of AI nuclear winter where there was fear that a few years ago everybody was talking about AI is going to take over the planet fairly soon, and you know things have moved. We've got Google's Deep Mind and all of this, and. You know, and then and then and this sort of idea of general AI, yeah. where something can come along and be um, almost have sentient, a human brain. almost sentient. Yeah. Um, and then we went into this period of things not really developing very quickly, and people and um, all the experts were saying we've sort of reached a bit of a plateau, and that's changed quite a lot, as I understand it, in the last sort of year. Right, um, you've got these foundation models that are being produced now, where they're just sort of there's so much memory, there's so much sophistication now in in the um, in the software that they, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to say they've reached a point of being sentient, but you look. There's a really good Economist piece on it where they were sort of giving um, problems to uh, these AI systems to solve and asking them to do things like produce covers for the Economist, for instance, with with just a little bit of information to do it based on. Um, or to write a piece of music in the start. Well, and we so hear about so. journalists. Alarmingly for us, we hear about so that's one thing they did. That can write journalists. So if you read, if you if you look this up, and it's only about two editions old, they actually got the um, AI to write the final paragraph of the feature. And it was and, all right. Well, it's it's. I mean, the Economist is not. 
um, Reuters style bullet point journalism where you're just getting yeah. the facts down. It's thinking, it's analysis, it's well written. And the last paragraph of this piece reads like it's written by right. a person. And, you know, so when it gets to the stage where you're talking about, you know, a network essentially being run by an AI system, one worry is just what does it mean for everybody who works there you've got that big sort of societal impact question of of ai and 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 this argument that oh we don't need to worry because we've always had you know centuries of automation and jobs are always created elsewhere i I hate that industrial revolution something has uh, happened then you had to have people making the machines and all that just because something has happened doesn't mean it's going to carry on happening all the time no and and i Um, still think you do get a so my my model, when I think of how I view sort of economic society evolving, so I view it as like a triangle. If you view it as a triangle with several strata, and at the bottom of the base of the triangle, you've got the lowest earners. And at the very top, you've got the elite. You've got the sort of Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos types. And then you've got strata going down the triangle, and then and their sort of strata of wealth, of, of, of income. Yeah. And so you, the biggest one tends to be the lowest one. There's more people working at McDonald's or delivery drivers for Amazon or just earning, you know, basic money. Yeah. And if you think of that as, you know, let's say historically it was an equilateral triangle. I I picture that triangle flattening. Yeah. So that you've just got the base of people earning fuck all getting much bigger. Um but then you've still got the people bosses. at the top. I mean I suppose <laughs> yeah. it wouldn't be in a triangle anymore. It'd sort of curve up. Basically, you've got more wealth being channeled from the bottom to the top. Yeah. And that's not necessarily because of some devious, moustache-twirling machinations. It's partly as a result of automation and the internet. Yeah. It's just made it more efficient for the really clever people to exploit everyone else. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what to do about it because they're kind of there on merit. You know, I think we had it with, with the Erland one. You know, I'll slag off Amazon, but they're there on merit. Yeah. It's not like, it's not like they've cheated. I mean, obviously, with any business that grows really big, they will have done some deals, they will lobbied some the, politicians, all that sort of thing. But on the whole, they're there on merit. But the fact is, we now have incredibly efficient wealth concentration machines. Yeah, I mean, I, the trouble I have with the with the sort of automations always created jobs in the past. Like one of them is that you know automation in the past was it was mechanization really you still needed people to think and to operate and yes to, no, good point and that's the trouble and the thing about ai that's very very different is that it's it's doing the thinking as as these yeah. foundation models are showing it's yeah. capable of the whole point is to take two it, humans that, out of the loop exactly so people moved the, the reason it worked in the past is because people moved into thinking jobs and this is one of the reasons by the way why everybody goes to university nowadays because they all they don't want to do the the sort of you know, the, 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 the cashier job yeah. in the supermarket that's now gone by the way to automation because everybody just bleeps their food through. I know, I and, do. And, um, you know, so... I don't even need to use one of their little um, barcode scanning guns. Yeah. I could just use my that's phone. Right. Yeah. Oh, really? yeah. I just use my phone. I just scan the barcode with my phone now. Right. Yeah. But 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 now the, the worry is is the thinking jobs, you know, and, and quite skilled jobs as well are going, are, are, are now sort of mm. susceptible to automation. I think... People who do sort of X-ray checks and things like that, which used to be something that you had to really know what you're looking for, apparently that can be done more efficiently by another, AI. Another one that I was, was really resonant with me is like paralegal work. Paralegal. So work you're still going to need yeah. full-on lawyers. You're going to need trial lawyers and that yeah. sort of thing. But some of the paralegal behind-the-scenes shit, they reckon. Well, they can imagine automate. if imagine an AI lawyer, you know, and this gets into the ethics. We, we trust a machine to make a better decision than a person on, on an ethics issue itself or on a legal issue. 
Yeah. You know? But why I, would you trust? You know, this is the thing for me that's interesting about the the Vodafone. Um, project and I don't know how they're planning on using this AI boost or how realistic it is to imagine that it that it is actually running things and taking decisions about which services to give to people but you've had guys involved in doing that for decades potentially network engineers who say I know what's going wrong here and then let's say you've got a machine telling you something different you know who do you who do you trust kind of thing well you just say that trust point, is a massive well, look, thing this is, sorry but the machine says computer says this so computer says no <laughs> Totally. So um, just a quick tangent came into my head. We're talking about proper sort of human lawyers. And um, so my son, and about, don't about your son, because I know your son plays a lot of tennis, but my son, now he's post-A-levels, he's spending a lot of time just sitting around watching movies. Yeah. And I, I, I went on him the other day and he's watching My Cousin Vinny. Have you oh, ever seen right, My yeah, Cousin Vinny? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, and she's awesome in it, but, she is, but Joe yeah. Pesci. Joe, Pesci, yeah. Joe Pesci's just hilarious. And, uh, yeah, and obviously it's him being this sort of dilettante trial lawyer. But, um, yeah, but um, yeah, but maybe maybe that's not a completely irrelevant tangent because between them, the characters played by Joe Pesci and Marissa Tomei did come up with an angle yeah. that, that was serendipitous. It's just because she happens to know quite a lot about cars yeah. and, and they were having a chat. You know, you had one of these eureka moments. How possible is it for AI to have eureka moments? Yeah, yeah. Because the, the way the human brain works is... It is. It's not entirely rational. It's not entirely linear. Yeah. Sometimes we just come up with bright ideas, like like humour. You know, I always count on that. So the style of writing I do, I hope I won't be able to be replaced by a machine because I try and inject a bit of personality yeah, yeah. and humour into it. Well, I, I mean, as I say, these these foundation models seem to be capable of doing even things like that. Right. So it's it's quite a worry. But the other thing, which is getting onto the more the cloud side of it, um, why I don't like the, the deal necessarily, is because. It sounds to me like Vodafone's incredibly, you know, we're talking about reliance and dependency, yeah. which is what we, we're concerned about when it comes to the public cloud, because there's so few of these things. This, to me, sounds like a classic example of that, where Vodafone is very, very heavily reliant on um, this Google AI analytics system, potentially. Yeah. Uh, now, what happens if, if this thing is being used for what they say it can be used for, i.e. tracking network problems, mm -hmm. working out which service plans go where, figuring out which bit of the network needs upgrading next, all this stuff. And they get really sort of deep into this and become heavily reliant on it. They go and sack a chunk of the workforce because it turns yeah. out you don't need them anymore when you've got this system. And then at some point in the future, they're like, well, well say Google goes bust or something, or um, they decide they don't want to work with Google anymore. Or, or a terrorist um, kills one of their server phones. Or something like that. Then How much happens? redundancy is now, built in? We, we asked this, I, I seem to remember, at the, someone did, maybe it was me, but someone asked at the Vodafone dinner about right. the ease of moving from one platform yes. to another. and they conceded. And they have this thing, which, which is one of the reasons they're doing this, we want to hire 7,000 software engineers, we've already got 9,000, we're working on this. They provided an update on where they are on that. Yeah, they're not is, that far along, are they? They've got a couple not, of thousand? They're not bad, because it's a mid-2020s plan. They've hired... They're, okay, fair they've enough. They've hired... I think they said they've hired 1,400. They only right. announced it at Christmas time. So, All right, I'll let them off. Sorry, yeah. Vodafone. Um, I mean, that's internal retraining and external yeah. recruitment, so we don't really know the split. But but one of the reasons they're doing this is is to build a platform called TAS, Telecom as a Service, that they say will give them the ability to sort of... Uh, it's like an abstraction layer is kind of how they've described it. So you can use that and port stuff between different hyperscalers, essentially. You know, so if you're... Right. 
But uh, but to me, so it's like middleware for hyperscalers. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I call it middleware. Is, I'm probably misusing it. This is actually how people have described VMware to some extent in the past, which is right. another company I wrote about this week. Uh, VMware's um, used to be owned by Dell. Dell, then got sort of spun off, and is now the target of this takeover by um, Broadcom at the moment. Broadcom 61 lost, lost buying shit. Uh, they love a bit of M&A. and um, you know, and it's it's sort of. It does. It, it does cloud. It's 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 it sort of supports private cloud deployments and um, and it's been positioned. I know by telecom operators like Dish in particular as a kind of sort of backup in a way or an alternative to AWS, which it's heavily reliant on. So it sort of moved away a little bit from this. We're all in on AWS, which is what it was saying at the beginning. To oh, we have VMware in the mix as well. Mm. And I talked to Mark Ruan, who's the chief network officer there sometime last year and he said he used to be a Nokia guy didn't he, he did and he was sort of saying that VMware is almost like this sort of abstraction layer the idea being that you can use it as a platform that means you're not tied to yeah. one you can move so one of the problems for a company like Snap for instance you know Snap the Snapchat, Snapchat. guys yep. is that they use Google and AWS as their public cloud providers so they have got two options but you go through their sec filings and they and they draw attention to all these issues with it. Like you can't move things from one to the other easily. So they, there's not redundancy. They're compartmentalized. They're yeah, compartmentalized. Yeah. There's not redundancy. And this this Google AI thing to me sounds like a very hard thing to see how they could sort of somehow port that to another. Mm. You know, it doesn't sound this building this AI booster that they've apparently done together and it's taken whatever amount of time. How then can you turn around in the future and go, oh, hang on a minute, we don't really want to use Google anymore. We want to work with yeah. so-and-so on, on Well, and AI. that's the other point. So even if we're not as dramatic as to point to the sort of parlour thing where they just unilaterally get cut off, it seems that you're putting yourself in a very weak negotiating position for, for you know, future deal refreshes yeah. and all that sort of thing. Because then Google just go, you know, Vodafone's going, no, we think you're a bit too pricey. And then go, go on and fuck off somewhere else. Well, uh, to me, that's it. they sound like they're locked in. I don't see how exactly. something like that, something that's, this isn't a bit of radio equipment where they go, oh, we'll swap it out and we'll go and get some Huawei instead or some Ericsson mm. or some Nokia. It's a, it's a box. They all do the same thing. All right, there's not interoperability, but we'll just have to take a few things out and put some other stuff in and it's going to cost us a bit of money which companies have been doing in the last few years for all sorts of reasons this is an ai system that runs your network it's it's a totally different thing it's it's to take something like that out and put something else there's not very many companies that could do something like that anyway on the planet look at your options Hmm. probably google does aws have and that that degree of sophistication in and there's some there's some evidence in the past you know like on the censorship side of oligopolistic behaviour, where they might not actually be in a room acting as a cartel, but sometimes these tech giants can act in concert. Yeah. Like, you know, one thing, I mean, I'll, I'll, I might bring it up properly later, but on the censorship side, I mentioned it in my story, um, and I've probably mentioned it on the pod a few times, the most egregious uh, example of social media censorship I can think of ever was the story in, in the New York Post in the uh, towards the end of 2020 before the American general election that Biden won about Biden and his son and dealings in Ukraine, funnily enough, before Ukraine was a thing like it is now. I remember that, yeah. You know, and his son's apparently a complete liability. Something doing the rounds on social media today was him, like footage of him doing a bunch of crack or something. I mean, fair... These pictures have been out for a Yeah, but this is like a new lot. I mean, maybe it's not a big Mm. deal. It's just more, you know, everyone's just bored of Hunter Biden um, doing crack and and hanging out with all... Why would you take pictures of him doing that? (laughs) Well, I suspect that when you're doing much crack, you're not necessarily making very 
coherent, <laughs> clear decision. It's just another bad decision in that moment. It's yeah. a sort of cracky. I, I know what would be cool. <laughs> to have documentary evidence of this of this depravity, because uh, I, no. I can shout my mates on, on a WhatsApp group. Um, anyway, um, but yes, you know all of uh, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all in concert. This was this was a. I mean, this definitely overlaps with the final segment, so I won't go into it too much. But you know, this is a proper publication, New York Post. Yeah, yeah. they're a bit tabloidy compared to New York Times. Well, it's still a big it's still publication. A, yeah, it's one of the oldest publications yeah. in the states, I think. And they just censored them. Yeah, and it censored them on some sort of spurious. It might have been Russian disinformation, but it was obviously very selective. Yeah, because they wouldn't do the same to stories they liked. Anyway, yeah. um, so that's just but a. I thought I'd just pick out a quote from. Um, I mean, this is this is on the issue of using of having multiple vendors in the in the system and not being overly reliant on one, because as I say, we asked at the dinner, and it's Johan Weiberg as the CTO. Yeah. And on that topic, he said... Tall bloke, he's yeah. about a fucking half he foot said, taller than me. We're cautious about picking one strategic supplier for everything. We have a huge amount of equipment everywhere and don't want to be completely dependent on one partner. If there's a problem, it goes down. And if that vendor goes bankrupt, what do you do? Fair point, Johan. Which, and, and they sort of said this when, they, when they'd already started talking about this Google AI thing. But it wasn't really made clear to me that that's something you could really have redundancy that for. Sure. It's not like a cloud where you may be putting some of your IT resources in AWS and then, OK, we've got our abstraction layer in, which means if something goes wrong, we can shift to Google Cloud and use them for the same thing yeah. or move to Microsoft Azure and use them for the... This, is, this just seems like something that's very, very hard to do that with. Well, and this is an example um, of where, you know, as a, uh, as a Pierre, a TM laissez-faire hands off low, small government kind of guy da, 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 da. <laughs> um you know i like regulation to be minimal but i will always concede that you have to have regulation especially of of very of industries where there's a very high barrier to entry like telecoms or airlines yeah. or whatever um and i would say there's probably an argument and, and, and another problem with regulation is of course it's not international but there's an argument for regulating these hyperscalers to force them to have this abstracted, interoperable layer mm. and maybe even force them to buy redundancy off each other. Yeah. So let's say AWS has got to buy redundancy off Google such that if a whole of AWS goes up in smoke, there's just... And, and, and it's an overhead <laughs> for them. It's a cost... Obviously, redundancy, by definition, the reason we try and avoid... Or the reason companies try and avoid redundancy is it's a cost centre. There's no ROI. There's no... Yeah. You know, it's like buying insurance, it's, isn't it? It is an insurance. But, I mean, by the way, I'm a big fan of Vodafone's... Um, if they can do what they say they can do with this TAS layer, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit dubious about this parts of this software plan, you know, this, this hiring 7,000 yeah. people. I think when it comes to sort of trying to develop are, new services and, and make money from it, you know, actually, actually position that as a sales growth opportunity... I'm a, I'm a bit sceptical because operators have never really done that very well before. And that that's not just a, an issue of having the right software developers. That's a whole cultural thing, isn't it, to, to do with how yeah. they make money and operate and how no, they we've covered that. In fact, and, another Vodafone yeah. gathering we had a few months ago where it wasn't a dinner, although we did have some nibbles and drinks after, yeah, it was more there, was, there were some really good questions. I think uh, Gabe especially yeah. was asking some good questions about the cultural side of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm so I'm a bit skeptical about that. Where I'm more positive on their plan is this: let's not be overly dependent on systems integrators. Let's not be overly dependent on on hyperscalers. Yeah. Let's let's have 
guys there who can create abstraction layers, who can do the systems integration work for us. Because if you do that yourself, then you're taking control of something. So this is what VMware and that this talk of that Mark Ruan came out with at Dish when I asked him, and he was saying it's like an abstraction layer. Well, it's a third party, and if there's only one of them, it's just another point of dependency, mm. then, isn't it? You know, yeah. you're, 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 then your choke points, the abstraction layer, rather than the because the you've still got to renegotiate that deal. Every because you've only got them. So if they if they go tits up, mm. then then what happens? And then there's a business you know? side where they go, right, you're charging too much VMware, and they go, go and find another exactly. goddamn abstraction exactly. layer. Abstraction layer. Yeah. You know, and, and that comes back to, you know, a little bit of a tangent, but half the rationale behind OpenRAN is this, is this sort of uh, pluralizing of the, of the vendor environment and avoiding this sort of vendor lock-in yeah. and this closed system thing. Well, how is it how is it that while at the same time they're trying to free themselves from Nokia and Ericsson and, and where they're allowed to play Huawei, they're at the same time signing up to a public cloud oligopoly with yeah. no more vendors than that either? I know, and, and, and that's why I find the whole open round thing slightly ridiculous because, you know, to me, public cloud lock-ins are much, a much more serious thing to be worried about than a bit of equipment basically yeah you know i mean the internet outages that happened last year showed you that if you if you have a supplier failure yeah you know like um a box gets delivered that doesn't work you know or even something as serious actually as ericsson and nokia pulling out of russia as far as i understand those networks are still working they might be aging there might be there might be faults that they have to get their own people to fix now rather than call it sorry calling on the scandinavian guys to do it. but um but if you if your public cloud goes down, if if you have an internet outage, as we saw last year with AWS and Facebook, not cloud obviously, but you know, big internet company that other companies rely on for advertising and all sorts of things. There was another one, Akamai, I think, had problems. And each one of those took down a number of websites. You calculate the economic cost of it, I bet people did that. Yeah. If you had one of those, if you had a really serious outage that went on at an AWS that took down a whole area for a really long period of time, let's say a couple of days before they were able to get it back up. You imagine how much economic damage would be done well, that, compared with somebody having a bit of a radio problem on there. Totally. You know. I think of it, I can even think of it in terms of um, telecoms.com and thinking of the, what are effectively cloud-based companies that we're reliant on. So we're reliant on whoever does the hosting. Yeah. I'm not sure how much redundancy there. It hasn't happened for a little while, but we've had one or two times in the past where the, the hosting company's gone mad. And then no one can get on the site. And, you know, there's, there's no business without telecoms.com being accessible on the internet. Then you've got a few cloud providers, like we've got um, the, the, the people who, who uh, allow us to, to populate the site. We've got the people who allow us to send the newsletter. We've got the people who allow us to publish this um, podcast uh, as an audio file onto the internet, and a few others, but a handful. Yeah. But any of those, there's no real redundancy if one of those goes mad. Like, we had it, actually. Um, so the people that we used to publish this podcast called SoundCloud, and mm. they're very good, but we did have one. Do you remember, Pierre, you were wondering why the fuck I hadn't put the podcast up yet a couple of weeks ago? Oh, it was failing, yeah. Yeah, and SoundCloud had an outage. And you, you got this website down detector that, that sort of the, where you can track these things. And they had an outage. I don't know what happened. Maybe, you know, maybe some server went mad. But, but then we couldn't put the podcast up. <coughs> yeah. No, I know it's not the end of the world. Especially as podcast is largely not sort of 
commercialised, as you can tell by the lack of ads on it. Yeah. Though you never know, they might do it one day. We were talking about this in a meeting yesterday. I might be doing a... So if if you really need a... I don't know. I'm trying to think of... I tell you, some of the adverts I hear on podcasts I listen to are normally for quite sort of embarrassing products. Yeah. Like, like pants and stuff. <laughs> so if I have to do that... Um, so anyway... Viagra or something. Yeah, no, no, no dick pills. I, yeah. I, I'm not sure where the crossover of dick pills and, and sort of telecoms professionals is. I'll, I'll let our there's, audience decide on that. There's quite an interesting, on the, on the sort of cloud thing, there was a really interesting story in the FT this week uh, about um, the banking sector. And it was actually based on a white paper that had been written by the Bank for International Settlements, which is it's kind of like the central bank, central bank. Yeah, um, based in Switzerland, as, as you'd expect. Right, and they so put it's, up this it basically makes the world go round in terms of international yeah. finance. I mean, Russia got kicked out of it, you know, obviously yeah. a few weeks ago. So it's it's, it's we well, say of, obviously. I mean, that's you know one of those why? clubs Just the that Americans de- decreed it. Obviously, because you'd expect that to happen when you yeah. given what's going on. But um, I know, but I I think you know that kind of again kind of proves the, the broader point about being reliant on these things. Why? Yeah, who decides? That the Bank of International Settlements kicks out Russia, but not another belligerent like Saudi Arabia being belligerent to. Well, Yemen I don't think they're in sort of it. Can we talk about this tennis woman who was born in Moscow, was playing for Russia the until final. three years ago? Now she's from Kazakhstan. Yeah, and now she's, she's okay to be in. Right. <laughs> so well, I think, I think what's she called? Ribikina. Ribikina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's that's going win. on a bit though, isn't it? Anyway. Well, yeah. the only thing I'll say about that, Pierre, I mean, it's a good point, and it's it's relevant to what you're saying. But I think she has, I think she moved to to be represented by Kazakhstan quite a few years ago because she got more money off them. Yeah. So it's not like she. I think. Yeah, but it's yeah, not it's like, like she. It's not like she did it since Russia invaded Ukraine. It's like Maxine no, Pressy going and playing for America. Yeah. With his French accent and his uh, serving volley who? tennis. Who? Maxime Cressy. Uh, I don't know. Well, you should, because he's probably the most Russia. exciting thing to come out of France since you. <laughs> since, <laughs> since Camembert. <laughs> since um, Pioline. <laughs> he's, he's a serving volleyer, which you don't get in tennis anymore. So, And he, he got Rafter. through to... He was in the final of Nottingham, for instance, which was one of the warm-up events for Wimbledon, really? and got beaten by Jack Sock. At, I still hear your phone, by the way. You can hear my phone. Yeah. It's on it's the in floor, my pocket. Man. I don't know. Uh, I'm sure it's anymore, not your though. phone. Maybe it's your um, phone. My anyway, phone's all the way over here. We went off on a massive tangent there because yeah, yeah. I was going to say the Bank for International Settlements bad. put out this white paper about um, the cloud, and the, the the title of the white paper tells you what the um, what the authors think. By the way, it is I had, I had to look it up because I only wrote this the title. Of the paper one. is "Fuck the Cloud: Big Tech Interdependencies, a Key Policy Blind Spot." So no prizes for guessing what their sort of position is. but And why are they, why is this organisation so, making this point? So the cloud is obviously not a telecom thing specifically. Of course. We've all sorts, This is and this is why it worries me more actually, because all sectors of the economy have got dealings with the public cloud and they've all been moving IT resources in and relying more heavily on big tech. This paper, by the way, isn't just about the cloud, but the cloud's a big side of it and their basic um conclusion is it's it's quite good bits of it are quite a good read but um they, as you were saying at the start scott four companies control 70 percent of the market so it's google microsoft aws and alibaba which isn't really used that much obviously outside, outside of china, china yeah. but internationally 70 percent market share for those so there's very very few alternatives to what they do and you've got dozens of banks you know and financial institutions putting you know, IT resources into into one of those clouds. And they they describe it as 
concentration risk and they use expressions like systemic risk because obviously if one of them fails, you've got several institutions that could potentially be affected. So this is this is one of the problems I have with Vodafone saying we have two or three suppliers on the cloud so we can move How dynamic them. is that we, situation? You know, and we have an abstraction layer because every, if dozens and dozens of operators are all relying on the same three clouds. It, they all need to be doing what Vodafone's doing, right? Which I don't think is really feasible for everybody to get out there and say we're going to hire 7,000 software engineers and you know, not everybody's in a position to do that and has the resources to do that. Um, we know that a lot of them don't have dual cloud strategies or multi-cloud strategies. They've gone all in with one, more or less. Um, and even if even if they do, and, you, and one of those companies was to fail, the risk then is even greater. Yeah. You've then got two or three companies where everything's dependent on them. So... And that, that's basically what this the point that the paper was making. But I just thought it was really interesting that the Bank for International Settlements comes out with that. And when you talk to people in telecom, I mean, to me, I'm not really aware of any regulators raising it as a big issue. I mean, regulators seem no. to be obsessed about things like spectrum and Yeah, and competition poking their nose into what we can say. And the only, the only times I really hear people sort of raising it as a concern are sort of anxious technology executives like maybe Neil McRae at BT, Who's more? Who seems to be more sceptical of this sort of stuff? Neil, or at least not afraid to. So if you're listening, not you can to chip in and say that yeah. you're talking bullshit. But he, he seems to be someone who's more wary. Oh, he's, I mean, wary he's, of he's, it, he's you know? tweeted like public cloud scepticism yeah. in the past, hasn't he? But then there's this constant pressure on these companies to, like you were saying, this is and this is why we get people like Erland and Danielle saying, "Well, what else are you going to do?" Hmm. Because they, you know, they're, they're heavily what are you indebted. Gonna do? What are you going to do? They're that. heavily indebted. <laughs> their, their sales aren't growing. You know, they're, they're being leaned on all the time by investors to be more efficient, you know, mm. and therefore there's this drive for them to do deals with the cloud that gives that gives them that. And if they don't, they're going to get left behind. But if they do do it, it creates systemic risk, like, as the Bank for International Settlements is mm. saying. So I, I just, I don't have any, there's not an easy answer to no, it, no. is there? And but, I just thought of a, I thought of a sort of devil's advocate counter which is what's all my bullshit no to 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 no to the skepticism that i share with you you ready for another i feel all right now actually yeah it's funny funny how beer does that isn't it well mum uh, well no you, yeah that's the only one of those you've got to have a speckled hen now you've just given away the last one of them it's all right i'll have a speckled hen <laughs> okay. um don't know if it's cold enough it is okay um is how many times has this actually happened this worst case scenario that we both talk about and so i'm being a devil's advocate to myself as much to you, as to you um how many times has this happened so maybe there is more redundancy built in i mean presumably there is redundancy built in presumably people like ws and all that have you know they didn't get where they are today by just relying on one fucking server farm in the middle of no Virginia i mean and this is oh, and that, i oh, suppose this is yeah. multiple strip yeah, yeah, yeah that's that what, goes down it's game over that's what someone like daniel would say it's like what are the chances of aws having a massive outage and failing in and, mm. and it all goes and they're not going to fail commercially anytime soon see i don't like that argument because big companies have failed in the past and the bigger they get the more worrying it is almost I mean, you don't have to look back to 2008 and what happened to yeah, people but like the, Lehman Brothers. I was thinking, yeah, Lehman Brothers, Bear Stearns, all that sort of thing. But I really think it's different because not that much of what Amazon done is, it does is speculative. You yes, know, the, the retail stuff, yeah, it's low margin, but I mean, they're just baked in. Yeah, outside of China, they are the default e-commerce company. So yeah. they are for me, Jesus Christ. I don't want to think about how much I spend with those fuckers every month. Um, 
And then on the on the cloud side, they're pretty much baked in. So I'd say, you know, if, you, if you're doing risk assessment, the chances of it going Pete Tong for Amazon any time in the small, next decade or so. But it's not so. impossible. It's not impossible. And also, I don't... The idea that they can't fail is almost a bad thing in itself because pr- the private, the free market, companies are supposed to be able to fail, yeah? Yeah. That's what creative destruction, as they call it, is all about, isn't it? It's about people cocking up and then well, other, other companies the, come along and disrupt them. So that 2008 you know? crisis that you referred to is a classic example of that. But I mean, they should. They sh- they were right to let Lehman Brothers fail. But then once they let them fail, they were like, "Oh shit!" Well, well let's look at one Gold, that isn't, Goldman Sachs might that isn't fail. speculative. Then let's look at one that's closer to the industry. Nokia with phones. Yeah, hmm. you know, I mean that happened dram- dramatically fast. You go back to the early two yeah. thousands and where they were in the phones business and Sony Ericsson, and then ten years later. 15 years later, let's say, this company called Apple that back then was doing iPods and people were like, oh, and, what's Steve and, Jobs doing with this? And weird little CRT Max. And, and look where yeah. they've gone. So it can happen. You know? It can happen. Um, no, no, totally. It's, it's not... It's a, it's a, it's a non-zero probability. <laughs> um, yeah, no, just being devil's advocate, I I think I can see how if I'm a like a top-level decision-maker at Vodafone, whether it's a CTO or a CFO or a CEO, I'm thinking... Right, right now the cost benefit analysis, the the risk reward ratio is is in favour of going all in. But you, I, I I completely stand by the objection you and I have always made, which is yeah, fine for the next five or ten years. But what about twenty years, well, thirty the, years? The other the other one that's a worry, I think, is not necessarily them failing, but so the outages that happened last year, as I understand it, a lot of them were to do with sort of human error. Um, yeah. Now. Obviously, cybercrime's on the rise, and you can guarantee that there are some Russian software people writing code, trying mm. to get into Putin's good books, that is aimed at disrupting the likes of Google, right? I think Presumably, it's pretty yeah, yeah. much a given that that's happening. And it's only because these companies are so good. And Chinese. Exactly. So there's been a bunch of stuff and coming Chinese. out of the UK and the, and the yeah. US moaning about but the Chinese. Those risks what? aren't getting any smaller. No. And, and we're just we're just confident and perhaps not overly worried about it because we think well Google has the smartest minds in the world and well they do, uh, but know. imagine if if, if their job got, was fulfilled by a government I'd rather it was Google than so the I. fucking US but, state but or the UK say state they do have let's say one of these bugs does get through yeah and one of these very very smart Russian scientists comes up with something that they can't deal with it's not like Talk Talks Network going down, where there's a few broadband homes hmm. that, that suffer in the UK. But got to do with that it's, porn for a couple of hours. It's it's systemic collapse. Yeah, hmm. it's it's dozens and dozens of big companies that rely on AWS to do public potentially to yeah. do public cloud. Now, as you said, there's going to be redundancy. So no, but I agree. But the scale, the, the the scale. You know, the bigger the risk, the the more you're right. The more we should care about even a one percent chance. Because it's the size of the risk. Just as we can't allow, although we probably will, we can't allow another 2008 thing to happen, back to Michael Burry or whatever he is. Yeah, we can't allow another situation to happen where where the global financial system is is so uh, is so reckless yeah. that that it takes massive taxpayer intervention to repair the damage they've done by their recklessness and their and their and and they're sort of rolling of the dice. They're gambling. Um, and yeah, no, I think I, I broadly agree with you. I don't think we learn from these lessons. And I think reason, the reason we don't learn is because all the incentives are short-termist. Yeah. There's no incentives. You know, let's say, you know, we're journalists, so we're not really on a commission or anything like that. But if you're on a commission and you're like, 
all that really matters is your numbers at the end of this financial year, then that's all you give a fuck I, about. Yeah, it's short term. I also don't think they have a clue. It's like to get back to your point of open RAN and the comparison. They think it's feasible to get new entrants into the RAN market and buy equipment and software from them. And it probably is. Now, I'm not convinced that a lot of those companies will actually survive. I mean, classic example that's happened recently. Parallel. Is parallel. Well, I don't see how Parallel Wireless can survive, frankly. Right. It's, I mean, it's lost as many staff as as the reports say. How do you lose 80% I of was, your staff? I can't remember who it was. I think it might um, be Mobile World Live today. We had some bit where they'd got a briefing. What's it called? Papa? No, they didn't get a briefing, I don't think. Oh, okay. I think they... He, so we wrote... Mike Dana wrote this as well. Oh, okay. Uh, he put a, a statement out. Saying we'll be fine or something like it's that. It's quite a detailed statement about what they're doing. But it's... I personally... I mean, I found it a little bit incoherent. He keeps what? talking about sprints and marathons in it. And, and it's... What proportion it, of the headcount have they lost? So... No one really knows, okay. but it's it's anywhere between. So some sites have it at half, but um, a journalist I respect a lot who doesn't normally get things wrong is Keith Dyer at the Mobile yeah, yeah. Network, and he had a source who told him it was 80%. Wow. So it's between so 50 have, and 80%. So they have about 1,000 people. That's Sorry, two, 65. Let's go. Yeah. I think <laughs> Split it's between, Yeah, so let's, yeah. I, I don't that's a fairly can, big deal. You can't survive if that's happened. I'm sorry, you can't. And it happened to... so suddenly. I mean, we haven't got this as a segment, and I haven't really covered it because I know that people like you and Keith and and probably Ray well, have been Mike's covering been it better. Doing and Mike, it well sorry, at Mike, yeah, like reading. I met you I mean, collectively. I did do, I did do a, a um, sort of opinion piece on it more, but um, shout out to Mike Dana. Shout out to Mike Dana. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm with you. I mean, that's that's so dramatic. Yeah, but the reason I mention it is because yeah, uh, went off on a bit of a tangent, but they think that they can get competition into the RAN market. It's something they can do, even if some of these companies don't survive. You've already got people like Samsung, which never used to be that prominent yeah. in the RAN area, now starting to get deals. Whereas when it comes to public cloud, there's no chance. No, no. one's no one's got an alternative. The to there's no, you can't build a public cloud alternative to AWS and Google Cloud. Because if you could, they'd all be doing it themselves. That's the whole reason. It's all about the whole, you know, the clues in the word, isn't it? Hyperscale. Yeah, that's what you need to be competitive, and that's why it's so compelling. And which is so, why, as I, you know, I say, when I get onto um, uh, how reluctantly in favour of some regulation I am, it's always where there's a high barrier, to, high barrier to entry. Yeah, because that's where you need regulation. Otherwise, otherwise, because you, because you don't have a dynamic market, you don't have open competition. Yeah, because as you said, you, we can't just go and start up Scott and Ian Public Cloud Limited. And expect to get Vodafone as a client. Exactly. Um, well, then we could try it. Give, we? give it a shot. If all goes wrong at Telecoms.com. Get, get Danielle involved. <laughs> um, well, at least might get another Yeti us, out she, of it. She'd describe us as fake cloud, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which which we would be. Cloud. <laughs> um, so, yes, no, I completely agree on all of that. Um, but, yeah, you know, to take it all the way back to the start, which is Andrew's angle, and then we should probably move it on yeah. after that. Um you know, there is still the point that Vodafone might get a lot out of it. Um, yeah, I don't disagree. So yeah. it, so I think it's it's ultimately a temporal thing. Like I was saying to you earlier, short-term versus mid-term versus long-term incentives. And and my biggest worry about uh, telcos, and I think this is yours as well, is that they, they're chasing short-term incentives. They're, you know, they're doing things like selling off their towers, selling off selling off actual sort of physical inventory like buildings and then leasing it back. And that's, and that's putting a sticking plaster over short-term sort of cash flow balance sheet problems, but it, it does make you wonder what it, 
you know, what problems it's storing up um, decades down the line. I'm, I'm waiting for Pierre to tell me off yeah, on my phone. I'm looking at your phone. my legs now. It's, so. I don't know. It's, it, it, There's something buzzy going on. Maybe we change our orita- orientation a, of the thing. Maybe this, I don't know. We're trying out. Maybe it's this new grey um, background. <laughs> Normally I can remember things quite well that I've written in stories, but my mind's not really with yeah, it Yeah, well, today. you're not on top form today. I mean, I think you're doing, you're doing well. No, I'm, and that's not criticism. I'm saying I know you're not on top form because you had a big night out. Uh, I think you're doing well, actually, all things right, considered. Right, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, okay, cool. Um... What should we move on? So Telecom and Tele... I, yeah. I mean, I've got... I'm in a situation right now where the majority of the stories that go on telecoms.com I don't write. I mean, yeah. I edit all of them. You're the man in charge. And I sort of commission them, for want of a better word. But, um... God, do you know what? I've just realised something. <laughs> the the story we we put out that was written by Mary... Yeah. Um, I forgot to change the byline. So it's got my byline on it. Because when, when I'm putting up a story, it defaults to my byline. Yeah. I have to manually change it. And I forgot to change Mary. Sorry, Mary. Not that she listens to the podcast. But remind me at the end of this pod. Okay, you need to, to change get in there that, and yeah. change the byline to Mary. She's, she's probably too, too nervous to sort of say, oh, you. No, no, she <laughs> toyed it out. I just, I'd, I'd be surprised. I mean, People they. reading, I'm like, oh, this Scott article is very mild. They, um, <laughs> this isn't written in Scott style at all. No, there's no opinion here. <laughs> uh, oh, no, Mary, no, Mary she, and Nick, Mary and Nick can be yeah, plenty yeah, gobby when they want to be. That's one of the reasons I'm yeah. delighted to have them. Yeah. That they're, they're, they're definitely got the same spirit as we have in terms yeah. of opinion and attitude. Um, uh, so anyway, uh, mental note there. So the but, piece that you claimed to have written... Yeah, it's got my byline, <laughs> so everyone thinks I'm great. I'm sort of riding on Mary's What was coattail. Mary's take on it? Because I didn't see um, So I, I, I changed the headline. I, I yeah. said the headline was, Tim sort of clarifies details of company split. Yeah. So they've got this split, and, and there was even a little graphic that we put in it. So Tim is is the, what I call the artist formerly known as Telecom Italia. It, it makes me think of um, you know Monty Python the Holy Grail. Yes, where there's the, 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 the wizard, the, the Tim the wizard, Tim. played by John Cleese. Yeah, <laughs> Which makes me and think you're expecting of that, some name. sort of you're <laughs> expecting some sort of Tolkien esque grandiose name, and he's just called Tim. I was in that film for a long time. Uh, so good. Tim's now. the one oh. who who makes who laughs when they all get savaged by that rabbit. What's your favourite colour? <laughs> Yeah. Red. No, blue. <laughs> anyway. Um, so, yes. Telecom no, my favourite line. My favourite line is, Camelot. It's only a model. Yeah. <laughs> it's a silly place. <laughs> they introduce Camelot and then they do that, that stupid was, musical that number. Terry Gilliam, wasn't it? It's only a model. Yeah. It's only a model. And so, I th- and also I regret, I mean, Tim, apart from it being a, a very short and sort of English sounding name, Telecom Italia just sounds cooler. It does. Italia. I don't. Yeah, the Tim things just. I mean, yeah. also it stands for Telecom Italia Mobile, right? And yet it does other stuff. So why has it changed its name to Tim? It's, it's still better than Buig. <laughs> yeah, Buig is a Buig. is a weird name. And it's re- even harder it's to spell. His name as Martin Buig, isn't it? Oh, is, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's the surname of some Martin Buig is some oligarch. Well, it sounds French to me, mate. But I'm not an expert. Buig, no, that sounds. It doesn't sound French to you. No. Okay. It just sounds like a obscene sound effect. Buig. <laughs> <laughs> now, the, the, the guy who it's owns noise, the group is Martin It's a noise you make when you fall in a puddle or something. <laughs> um, anyway, so Tim, yeah, that, I'm, I'm not going to get into the whole background, but Tim, there's been sort of fuckery going on with Tim for years. Yeah. I mean, a, a few years ago we were writing about this. there still this, will be for another few yeah, years. Yeah, this, this sort of Vivendi was trying to get a bit of it, but they were trying a bit of corporate weirdness where without actually launching a takeover bid for the company or at least even buying the majority of its shares, they wanted to control it. Well, they could cock this, this thing up. <laughs> yeah. 
and and then this other activist investment firm called Elliot got involved and and I kind of celebrate you know we, when we wrote up we kind of celebrated it because we thought Vivendi were taking a piss yeah but that's not to say Elliot is necessarily any better so it's all just these masters of the universe having pissing competitions yeah. with each other so they, like they burned through about seven or eight CEOs I think yeah, yeah. In, in that many years if not less all, all of whom sound like AC Milan centre backs to me they do, yeah. Pietro um, Labriola, I think. Yeah, yeah, you can just imagine, you know, he's just like, uh, you, you never get past him. He's, he's quick <laughs> he, as a He looks it. like an, an ageing Italian centre-back as well, I think. Chiellini. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, like Chiellini. Do you remember in that um, what Chiellini did to uh, the Arsenal player? Saka, yeah. Yeah, when he grabbed his shirt. God damn. Anyway, yeah. um, play, complete though. tangent there. I know, just, it US was just now. such a cynical foul. He plays for yeah. LA now. He loves it there. Right. Especially no, on he's, vacation. He's a great player. <laughs> I mean, Italians, I, yeah. I think Italians are the most pragmatic footballers of all. They, they're the best at fouling and not getting caught. Yeah. Them and Argentines. Yeah. They're half Italian anyway, Argentines. <laughs> they just punch it in the net. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, well, exactly. Maradona, hand of God. Yeah. Bloke's about four foot tall. Yeah, and he is. And he outjumps Peter Shilton. <laughs> uh, anyway, more tangents there, showing our age. Um, so Tim, yeah, yeah. So there's, there's been all this dicking about going on with Tim. Who owns it? What are they up to? Um, how are they involved with the state in terms of like national sort of broadband networks and all that sort of thing? Anyway, cut a long story short. They, their latest cunning plan is to split Tim in half, mm. more or less. And the working names for the two halves are Netco and Service Co. Very imaginative. Yeah, yeah. But that's why I hope they're working names. Not not the final yeah. one. Okay. Although the final ones will probably be like Sid and Dave. Or something. <laughs> Actually, that would be quite Tim cool. E. Yeah, Tim, Sid and Dave. Yeah, Tim, Sid and Dave. <laughs> They're like some. You know, no, they should, no, they should change their names to Chaz and Dave. Chaz and Dave, would be and good. then they could be all all a bit of elbows, Cockney. Anyway. Um, <laughs> that would go perfectly Italian culture. You, you could start doing uh, some impressions of Italians. Yeah. Mario and Luigi. Yeah, some some Italian <laughs> version of like my old man's a dustman or something like that. Except that theirs would be like Mild Man's... Mild Man, the dust, man. Mild Man's a sort of pizza baker. I don't get that baker. reference. <laughs> it's Chas and Dave. It's before your time. They were, in the 80s, they were these Cockney... You know what Cockney is? It's like East End London. Mm-hmm. They were these Cockney singers, and they'd just be these two guys, beards, you know... Yeah, like rabbit, 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 rabbit. It was like they were just like pub singers. Yeah. But, um, but for some reason, they, they acquired they fame just took and off. ended up in the charts at one point. Yeah, and, and it's just like... It's almost like London folk music, yeah. really. Anyway, I just thought if you're going to split Makes me think of fools and horses and that sort yeah, of thing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's very London. Very yeah. London. Um, that's a massive tangent. It was a massive tangent. Right. But, you know... There's been more tangents than this one than ever. Well, it's because it's... it's summer. Fun. It's you know, temperature. It's, it's summer. <laughs> and it's the first one we've had for ages where we haven't had a just guest. Just us yeah. Um, where, where we can just be Scott and Ian talking shit. Yeah, it's true. That's what they should change it. Tim should split into Scott and Ian. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ian... Given that there's two halves, there's one called Netco, which has got Sparkle and Fiber, which is basically the sort of fixed line, and I think Sparkle's like submarine networks and shit like that. So that's Netco. So that's like fixed line infrastructure, and then Service Co is the sort of consumer um, mobile. I mean, I mean, look, Netco's basically Netco's basically the equivalent of before before you say that. Which do you want? If they if they're being called Scott Uh, and Ian, Netco. You can. That's fine. Actually, I wanted Service Co, so I'm quite happy with that. Right. Service Co. Netco's where all the money is. And Service Co's just more fun. Service so. Co's revenues are going to go down like, down like right. that. Whereas Netco at least is going to do that. Service Co is going to buy the Seria. 
Service, service goes, goes exactly. Out. I might be able to sponsor a Formula One team or a, or a football team or something. Ferrari, like that. you have to buy. It. Yes. Their, their, their investor presentation is very depressing. <laughs> Go on, you know. Now I've finished talking shit. Why don't you uh, sort of yeah. take the ball? What, what, I mean, the me reason they're that. doing it is because they're they're in such a dreadful financial position, basically. Right. And they're I think they have about twenty billion euros in net debt. Um, and they're worth. Do you know what their annual revenue is? Well, I know what they're worth. Right. Which is which is even better. Oh yeah, the market their, cap. Their, their, their market cap. Uh, when I cover that story, so the day it came out, and by the way, their share price didn't change that much on, in the morning in Milan. So people weren't that be, impressed. But they've been talking about it for ages. Either. I don't think it's that they've been talking about this model for a long time. And, well, actually, in a sec. Um, I, Roy to talk about trial balloons because I think this is a really interesting thing that I often detect that happens with yeah. these leaks. But anyway, we'll get so back to that. This is a company that used to be w- one of the most valuable companies in Europe, by the way, Telecom and Tele, back in 2000. I think it, out of all the telecom operators, it was right up there as one of the, okay. the top ones. It's a big, pretty big country, Italy, yeah, and they had yeah. assets in Fourth South America. Fourth biggest economy in, in Europe, yeah, I maybe, think. Maybe, yeah. Um, they're now worth. So on the day of the, of the, as I say, of the thing, their market cap, I've got it. I have to refer back to the story because um, don't just phone it might buzz and then you get told off by Pierre. It's five. It was five point four billion euros. Five point four billion euros. To give you a comparison, BT, right, um, is worth nineteen point five. Wow. Wow. Billion dollars, I think. And dollars and euros are not a million miles apart. They're, they're pretty much the same yeah. now. So. Um, yeah, you know, and you look at its right. share price. So its share price in the last five years, I looked at this as well, has gone down uh, nearly seventy percent. Wow! In in five years, and they, you know, the, if you, the, I think the the metric that people often look at is sort of earnings to net debt, which is very high in their case. You know, and their their debt's stubbornly high. It's always been at this, uh, you know, dates back, I guess, to the early years of the. You know, of the century when they went off buying assets and spending money on Spectrum, and because uh, a lot of the European operators are in a similar position. Yeah, yeah. But they they need. And we've spoken about how profligate the Italian five G auction yeah. was a few now years ago. Now their um, their market, their domestic market, is a really really tough one because what the Italians did was they allowed this merger to go ahead between uh, Win Telecomunicazione and Three Italia. Tre, which is now Wind Tre. There we go. Uh, but as a condition of allowing that deal, they said you have to sell some assets to another company, which turned which out is to a standard be thing that happens Iliad, in consolidation. Yeah, which is therefore not really consolidation. You've basically invited the most aggressive company and in Europe, multinational, into your market. Yeah, it's not that like um, you've sold it to some mom and pop shop. Yeah, yeah. so they've, they've come in and slashed prices and basically done what they did in France a few yeah, years, which is ago. free. Under, Iliad's under free, free yeah? Brand, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So they've done a free. Yeah, they've in done Italy. a free in Italy, and um, you know, and all the big, all the big opera, all the incumbents have struggled. They've lost customers. Their mm. revenues have been going down. Um, Which is exactly what happened in France. Yeah, I remember so, actually when before this job when I was an analyst, the you know Orange and SFR and Bouygues uh, were always bitching and moaning about how they can't make any money anymore because of free. Yeah. But, you know, that's competition. So, so this deal, this spin-off, is all about basically raising capital, I think, to to you know to try and improve their, their balance sheet position. You know, apparently what they want to do is load that with about eleven billion of their of their net debt. Which is about half. Yeah. Um and they they're optimist so this is a company worth five point four billion. This is the weirdness of these sorts of things. This is the financial engineering of it. Mm. That they're optimistic that they can raise about twenty five billion from a, a sort of that's that's what it would be worth. 
this this entity, this Netco. So raise it from where? That's no, that would be the mar- that would be the valuation of that. Oh, the of aggregate that, of that Netco. Oh, of business. that bit. Now this is where Iliad might screw things up because Iliad reportedly wants it valued at thirty-one billion. That's what they sort of. That, that's that's their estimate of how much it would be worth. Sorry, I've lost track. Why why do we care what Iliad thinks? Not Iliad, sorry, uh, Vivendi. Oh right, okay, Vivendi. Good. Vivendi. Vivendi seeking lost the plot, a much higher valuation. Right, and Vivendi than, still owns well, like about a quarter of. The I'm not sure what it like is, that. but yeah. yeah, it's something like that. It's somewhere between. Vivendi must and feel like 25%. twice percent because Vivendi we had acquired most of their shares about five years ago, so they've lost seventy yeah. percent of their fucking investment. So it's it's quite similar in a way to like me um, as an to, to Vodafone's uh, divestment of towers into what's it called Vantage Towers, yeah. where they then went and listed it. And there was talk. I don't know what it's worth at the moment, actually, on the stock market. But, oh, no, no. but it's a, it's a capital raising exercise. Yeah, yeah. Um, and their preferred option is for this this Netco business to be merged with another company called Open Fibre, that is basically government controlled. Yeah, yeah. And then they get some wedge out of that. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what you then have is this single fibre network in Italy. That acts as a sort of wholesale business, and, you, and because you've got government involvement, you've got this sort of underwriting from the state, yeah. which obviously pleases. Yeah, and then investors. and then Telecom Italia would then be the, the, would then sort of have the service co thing, but the the idea would potentially is that I mean they've even said they've they said there's various options, but one is just to sell it to private investors, one is merging it with with Open Fiber, which is the, the, what they want to do, and presumably they'd have they've talked in the past about retaining a big stake in that. I think that's probably a a, a, a stumbling block potentially. And there'd be another private equity and, people. Like, was it KKR something like that? I think KKR sniffing been around involved. It. Macquarie's yeah. involved in Open Fibre. I think right. Macquarie's involved in that. Because there's just so many, so, so many. And, and you've parts. got you've got Vivendi there thinking that it's obviously worth more than more than it possibly is. Um, but the idea is you you park that then and then you have this the server. It's it's a bit like OpenReach in the UK, yeah. Yeah, that, that's what Netco is really. I know so you mentioned Netco Sparkle is a submarine side of it, yeah. but that what Netco really is is OpenReach in the in, in the Fair UK. Yeah. But but what they're talking about doing is so OpenReach is legally separated from the rest of BT, which basically means there's some Chinese walls fudge. and yeah. they and they they can't sort of discriminate between their customers. They they can't sort of treat BT retail more favourably than they treat other retail customers and things like that. And it has separate management. But it's all owned by BT Group. Whereas this, Netco, could end up being owned by a third a completely different, yeah. you know, um party. Uh, and then and then Telecom Italia has this service co or Servco, or whatever it's called. Well, it was Servco and now it's become Service Co. Right. Service Co. So Service Co is consumer. Yeah. Now the forecast for that. So the interesting thing about Netco is they expect they, their estimate is that Netco last year made 5.4 billion in revenues, and their forecast of what it will make in 2030 is 5.5 billion. So it's not a growth company, yeah. Um, well, some growth. <laughs> well, but right with inflation, I'm not sure it is. No, that's true. Good point. Um, and, in real um, terms. Uh, and also, its profitability is going down. So it made four hundred million, I think, in EBITDA, AL, or whatever that weird metric is after leases. Um, it's getting minus, worse. Minus capex, which it's gets getting worse than the LGBTQIA. It, it is. Thing. It made about four hundred million last year because they, have, they, they cover one quarter of the Italian population with full fibre. So there's a lot to do to 
equip Italy to have Italy with this sort of modern. And, you can imagine, and if you've ever been to Italy, you can imagine some bits are yeah. not going to have fibre for quite a long well, time. Well, they're not going to go to 100%, but they want to yeah. get their projection is to go up a lot. Okay. And obviously, they need to spend money to do that. So, the, so if you then look at EBITDA AL minus CapEx, it goes right down to zero in mid, the mid 2020s and then goes back up to about 1.9 billion by 2030. It becomes a lot more profitable under these company forecasts by okay. 2030. But staffing. So twenty. So, so this Telecom is the angle you took, at least in your headline. In my headline, my piece is, is about all of it. I just thought the okay. headline would draw more attention because, and, and also, I think Reuters is all over it, and they've not really mentioned the. You're the giving, you're giving the game away with journalism. But, Sometimes that we pick the most clickworthy headline, but that's not necessarily totally, what most yeah. of the piece is about. It isn't no, but but I mean, staffing wise, I think they've got about forty-two thousand people in Italy altogether. So about twenty-two would go into this netco. And then if you look at their slideware on for all this plans of what they're doing and revenue projections, that figure goes right down from 22 to 15 over the course of the plan. Because basically, once you've built the network, you don't need as many people, do you? Right. You're doing all that work in the early years. Done, yeah. done and dusted. And anybody who's optimistic about you know, the service co, anybody's a sort of employee who stays with service co and they're thinking, well, we're, we're safe here. Well, they're cutting staff as well. They, the consumer division, they're saying, has a, would have about 14,000 full-time workers. 3,000 of them are going to go over the next few years. So you're, you're talking about, I worked out, it's about 9,000 job cuts they're, talk, they're projecting. The enterprise Out of bit, the total headcount of... So the whole Italian unit is 42,000. That's a big Internationally, because they also have Brazil. Yeah. It's and Brazil's part of service. Code, I'll tell you what it is. Uh, it's about fifty-two, I think. It's about okay. fifty-two thousand. Um, okay, so about about so, a sixth. So you've got so service co. If you look at the bits of service co, um, the consumer side of it, their revenues are forecast to shrink. I think going down from about six point eight billion last year to six point five by twenty thirty. Maybe it's even the mid twenty twenties because it's just a crap market to be in. I mean, mm-hmm. it, the. the Look at what's happened to them with Iliad in that, in that market exactly. the last few years. And, really yep. and all their growth um, prospects seem based on this enterprise unit, which made three billion last year. But they say that's going to make five billion in the next few years. So they're almost forecasting a doubling of revenues at that. Which unit. I just noticed on the slide in our story includes a company called Olivetti. That's, yeah, that feels like such a retro brand. Well, I just think it's wishful thinking. All of that's based on what we've just been talking about. They've got this partnership in Italy with Google Cloud. Um, and they've got this unit called Nouvel. That's it. That's in in the enterprise bit as well. Nouvel is their thing that they're sort of doing with Google Cloud. It's like their cloud business. Oh, okay. You know, and you look at where all the growth's coming from, and it's that as well as the Internet of Things. Well, the Internet of Things, that's been a great success, hasn't it, for operators (laughs) over the last few years. I can see lots of growth coming from that. I'm really going to bet the farm on that. So I just think they're absolutely kidding themselves with this enterprise forecast of it going up from 3 billion to 5 billion. I don't believe that will happen at all. Um, And it's just... It's just a really depressing story. The, the Telecom Italia, to me, is where operators go to die, sort of thing. It's like... And it's, you were saying earlier that it's, you think it's emblematic. It should be a cautionary tale, because that's where others could go. You know, yeah. we, we don't think people like Vodafone or whatever are there, or even BT is an equivalent former national monopoly. But watch out, because yeah. they're, they're but for the grace of God go I. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I, they're, they're, they're the sort of... They're the real sick man of Europe kind of thing, Telecom yeah, yeah. Italia. You know, well, they're, they're, Italy they're... often is economically, sadly, yeah. which is a shame because I fucking love but it. But for, for a company that was, as I say, in 2000, it was regarded as one of the most valuable stocks in in, in Europe. 
for for all sectors mm. to be where it is now it's it's just quite a, a sort of depressing tale but this this is the other thing i said this plan that they put forward i mean this is they've been talking about doing something like this Don't now they? for about two or three years and every time they come up with a new strategic plan or some effort to try and turn the company around the shareholders that you mentioned vivendi and elliot usually end up squabbling about yeah. things and it never really goes anywhere then a ceo gets replaced well and what what um, are the what are the incentives of the various people involved? Because whenever private equity is involved, you assume there's some kind of Gordon Gecko-ish sort of asset stripping, short-termist incentive going on. Because people, various people have been going, oh, flog this, flog that, flog the other bit, flog this asset, because what they want is their exit. Yeah. So you flog this asset, you get a sudden influx of money from it, share price goes up, they exit, everyone's a winner, move on to the next fucking victim. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to be too much of a dick about this because... You know, I'm, I'm pro free market. I'm pro capitalism. If you want to be a sort of corporate raider, Gordon Gecko type, then go for it. If yeah. the rules allow it, but oh, um, but it's not necessarily for the good of the company. And you know, going back to you know, I keep referring to Gordon Gecko, the film Wall Street. One of the subplots within Wall Street was like, okay, it's all very well, Gordon Gecko coming in, asset stripping. But then what about the poor blue collar fuckers in yeah. Rust Belt America who then haven't got a job anymore? So. You know, maybe I'm getting I, I lefty in my old um, age. I'm starting to think about these things. Yeah, well, the same here. But I think they're, they're, this valuation, you know, 25 billion, that that's reported. They've not mentioned that in the investor presentation. That's maybe feasible because, you know, we've talked about this in the pod a few times with people like Jarlis from GigaNet. There's a yep. huge surge of interest in fibre networks. and Jarlis, by the way, if you're listening, I, I gave my son your bag. Uh, I did as well, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a good bag. I mean, it I mean is. that as a compliment. Yeah, same. Um, I wouldn't give my son any old shit. No, um, but but there's a huge uh, there's a huge interest among a certain class of investor in things like ducts and poles and and fibre in the ground and yeah. these um, hard predictable assets. Yeah, but I just wonder if if Telecom Italia merged with OpenNet is the best example of that. You know, it's merged with OpenNet. With open fibre, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is the beer and the, yeah, the hangover no, combined. That's, but that's merged with open fibre. I mean, if you look at, you know, what's going on in the UK, for instance, um, with op- open reach to me is a sort of net loser, really, from the, the fibre rev- revolution. I mean, we talked about that a few times. Because of the competition. Because it's, unless all those new entrants fail, it will lose market share yeah, in yeah. broadband. And, and now maybe in Italy it's not a very competitive market and they don't have that surge of fiber rivals but in if they don't then what you've got is basically a government owned potentially a government owned mm. monopoly wholesale provider as as they have in Australia with NBN for instance and that doesn't sound like a very good way to invigorate no, a market. NBN's, I mean, NBN's has all sorts of agree. We, for we like what's ages. going on in the UK because it's all about infrastructure based competition yeah. which is something some of these markets lack. And you got city fiber and all that going yeah. on. Yeah. So um Okay, uh, unless you've got anything more to say on it, I better move it on. Because yeah. uh, we've got we got a hard stop going on. Um, I'll move on to the final thing that I wanted to chat about. So, um, the online safety bill is something that I've ranted about for a while. This is this is only fringe telecoms, but it is still telecoms because Ofcom's involved, and and obviously it's about communication, which is what the ultimate point of telecommunications, as is strongly implied by the latter half of the term, is all about. So. I sort of, I feel it's all right, as long as I'm not going on about it the whole time. And we spent plenty of time talking about fucking cloud or fiber or, or whatever, or ran, then then it's all right. 
But um, so we've got this thing called online safety bill, which has been put for put through by the current government, is the Tory government, uh, on which more in a sec maybe. Um, and as the name implies, it's about making the internet a safer place. Now I'm deeply sceptical whenever anyone talks about my safety. I think you're not talking about my safety. You're talking about your power, and I'm just a proxy. You're, you're saying. Scott, I'm trying to make things safer for you. No, you're not. You're trying to you're trying to use me as a proxy to increase your own power and say that you're doing it for my own good. Well, fuck you. I'll, I can take care of my own stuff. Anyway, but then I'm a you know I'm a 50 year old bloke who's been around the block a bit, and so then they talk about you know what about the children, sparing children. And, and, you know, I'm not going to push back. You know, I've got I've got teenage kids. I know my son. Uh, certainly has checked out some stuff on his phone over the years that uh, I wouldn't necessarily have endorsed. Yeah, and and I remember talking to them when they were little kids. I was like, if I let you just go on the internet without my supervision, it'd be like me sticking you in the middle of Oxford Circus by yourself and going deal with it. Yeah, you know the the internet is this whole digital world, which is equivalent to the physical world, and has it doesn't have physical dangers. You can't get kidnapped. You can't get beaten up, but there's, there are still a lot of dangers there. Um, so kids do need protecting, and maybe there is some role for the government there. But with things like the online safety bill, I just feel that they're using, again, the kids as proxies to push through a bunch more of... a, a whole lot more power-grabbing in the name of protecting the children. Yeah. If they just restricted it, and I think I might have said it on a pod before, there was one, I think they, they've got this woman at Ofcom who hardly ever says anything, and she's a complete establishment figure. She's called Dame, I don't know, Marjorie Dawes or something. I think Dawes. I don't think she's Marjorie. Marjorie, that may, might, might be that, um, that Matt Lucas character. That sounds like Marjorie Dawes. Yeah, yeah. Who, who, was like, who had the diet <laughs> clinic, and she was just always <laughs> eating cake. But anyway, some, some name like that. Um... And she came out and went, yes, it's really important that we have this bill to to protect children and adults. So, th- so the the cat was out of the bag straight away. Th- this whole line that it's just for children is bullshit. Yeah. Because as soon as this Ofcom woman had half a chance, she started talking about adults. So they're just using our safety as 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 a pretext for increasing their own power, is my view. And I'll, I'll admit my own bias. I'm a little bit skewed in that way. Maybe too much so. But... Um, it, it leads to bad law. And by bad law, I don't just mean laws I disagree with, but I mean laws that have too much sort of vagueness and subjectivity and are too open to interpretation. That's bad law. Yeah. You can't have something like where you go, Ian, you just broke the law. And you go, which law? And I go, well, that law that says um, you can't wear grey T-shirts. And then you go, well, what shade of grey? And I go, oh, well, the law hasn't yeah. told you that. So yeah. maybe I'm allowed mid-grey, but not dark grey. Anyway. So so the, this online... And that's really controversial, this mm. bill, because pretty much nobody likes it, it seems, except for um, Nadine. Nadine Doris. And, and some of her groupies. But um, have she still got any? Well, I mean, I'm I mean, our mate, sort of our mate um, Boris, Julia really. Lopez, who I interviewed. She left, yeah. Yeah, she bailed the other day, but we we'll, might she, get into well, She's one of the sort of firm Boris loyalists, isn't it, it seems. Doris is massively Boris yeah. loyalist, yeah. Um, but the thing I don't... So maybe, with any luck, she'll be gone. The thing I don't get about it is exactly what you just said, really. This sort of... I don't see how you legislate on some of this stuff. It's very hazy. You know, you can can look at a sentence that's written and pick out a word in Mm. it and say you can't use that word. Well, it's also parallel because there is legislation on speech. You know, the slander, libel, um, 
and the, you know, there's lots of stuff I don't like, like hate speech, because that's also, I think, deliberately vague. But what this law tries to do is apply a new layer of speech legislation that applies only to the digital d- domain. Um, and so that's really insidious. Stuff that would be legal for you to say in the street yeah. becomes illegal online. Now, I, I, if I'm going to be... Presumably gonna, hate speech is allowed if it's Vladimir Putin we're talking about. Well, there's that as we, well. We can talk about taking him out in a surgical strike and nobody would tell yeah, him yeah, he's yeah, down. Exactly. But if you said you're going to take out somebody else... So then. there's another classic example of the subjectivity. Whereas, whereas if you slagged off someone who's just as culpable of um, war crimes like... I don't know, um, that crown prince of Saudi Arabia, then that's not all right because we've subjectively decided that Russians are baddies and Saudi Arabia are not baddies. Yeah, well, we're still dealing with them. For whatever geopolitical reasons there are. Anyway, um, so but back to the story I wrote um, this morning, they they keep adding amendments to this thing because it's so flawed. It's such a badly written bit of law. Over and above even the ethical considerations about censorship, which obviously is a bee I've got in my bonnet, it's just bad law for the reasons I was just saying, because there's so much subjectivity and vagueness in there. So they keep having to go, yeah, all right, accept this, accept this, accept this. And so the latest one today was like, all right, accept proper journalism. So so at the core of... <coughs> proper journalism. Yeah, well, quite. I mean, I deliberately phrase it that way. Um, at the core of the of the law is basically to compel big social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Google, etc., um, to compel them to censor. Or you get all this, we'll find you 10% of your global turnover or, or whatever type yeah. of thing. And so obviously they're going to react to this. Their compliance people are going, fuck it, let's just censor everyone because it's not worth the aggro. Yeah. And then they're suddenly going, oh shit, they might start censoring proper journalism. So then they've had to put this little caveat in that they spoke about today. But, you know... Yeah, it's as, like as an afterthought, say, isn't it? It's like, oh, yeah. shit, we've drawn up this ridiculous law and we didn't even think about people writing stuff. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and as you said, everybody's a, a journalist these days. Well, so and there's the point. So, so that's why I phrased it as... down and writing something, isn't it? That's, that's why it, I phrased it as proper journalism. So, I mean, you know, I don't know where we are. Obviously, we've got, you know, titles that have got decades of history behind them. Presumably, we're viewed as proper journalists, but probably not as much as the our, our equivalent of the FT or the yeah. Telegraph or something like that. Or Wall Street Journal, or whatever. Yeah. Um, or Le Monde. Um, <laughs> I had to give him. A, I had to give him a nod. Or, or Figaro. Les Echo. Uh, yeah. Um, but are we, is that all of them? We've covered the whole French press there. Um, and French press is what Americans call uh, cafetier. Anyway, um, what was I going to say? Yeah, no, see, see how I went there. Um, but so let's say we squeak in. But yeah, I mean, I made the point in the story I wrote today. What if, just a, for want of a better term, a citizen journalist is it is out there filming a camera phone and they spot an MP, you know, going into a, a crack den, and they're going check it out. So, so William Hogg Smithers the third has just is clearly into crack. I mean that there's in. That, that's in the public domain. Yeah. Uh, it's in the public interest. I mean, the thing that's brought down Boris Johnson this week was that there's this one MP who, who gets pissed and likes feeling other blokes up. Yeah, so how can you write about that without yeah. straying over these... But but let's say it wasn't the son that broke the story, which it was. It wasn't the let, son that broke the story. Yeah, I think so. Um, but but let's say it was just you, the who son, happened to be there. He was a somewhat did it, what some, brought what, Boris what down. Won it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, so that's a really good point, and you know, and I made that point in my story. So, who who gets to decide what a proper journalist is? And the fact is, the government still gets to decide. Yeah. So, 
even with this caveat, even with this attempt to mitigate some of the sweeping powers of censorship and control over speech, they're still highlighting, and this is what I said in the conclusion of my piece, that they're still highlighting the fact that this is a game of whack-a-mole. As soon as you start saying censorship, you've got to say, yeah, we're censoring everyone. Oh, except them, except them, except goodies, except my mates, except journalists, uh, and all that sort of thing. And, and the only answer to it is just to not censor. Yeah. I mean, outside of the law, the law has censorship built into it. As I often say, I can't just... I can't just put something on Twitter now that says Ian Morris lives at this address. Mostly for you, I don't know your address. Lives at this address. Go around and firebomb his house. That would be illegal. So there's there's already law that covers the most egregious speech crimes. Yeah. Um, and then when you try and censor it over and above that, and you put subjectivity into it, and go, well, we just think that we sh- people should be nice or or whatever, then you're just chasing your tail. Yeah. Um, having said that, you know, I'm grateful, I suppose, that some protections are being put in for journalism because from a journalistic perspective... It, but it just sounds ridiculous, the protections of journalism. It sounds like they've drawn this thing up and gone, oh, we didn't even think of that about that, therefore we need to tweak this bit, which just isn't going to work in practice because, as you said, anything can be classed as journalism, frankly. Anything mm-hmm. that's a written piece that's, that's factual. And they don't, even the press release, they'd even say that, I think they... they um, let me look at it. Have I, have, I, have I done my usual thing of not getting the fucking thing up on my screen? Um, I'll just find it because there's a particular word they use. Um, that's it. I think it's... Uh, I mean, it almost sounds like the whole... A, a throwback to the sort of 1960s Sorry, can I quickly button? in? Yeah, the the word is recognised. Right. So they say... Um, what is it? Uh, yeah, basically... Recognised news outlets are protected... Recognised by who? Recognised by the government. Well, exactly. Yeah, sorry, I interrupted you. What, no, what I was just going to say the whole thing just sounds like a sort of throwback to the weird 1960s days of, like, putting Lady Chatterley's love yeah, on obscenity laws. Obscenity yeah. laws and all that. I mean, it's very much to do with fictional stuff back in those days. But that, that, that appears on the internet nowadays. You can read a book on, you know, on Amazon's website or whatever, download it as a digital book and sit there reading it. It's, on the, it's online, so... Yeah. There was a weird bit of censorship. Trying to read that, uh, American Psycho or something like that. Where does where does that come into things? There was a weird bit of censorship happened this week on Twitter where um, Jordan Peterson got kicked off for being typically strident about something, and then his friend and ally Dave Rubin just queried him getting kicked off, and Dave Rubin got kicked off for querying the kicking off. I mean, where does it stop? Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 very arbitrary. Now, one thing I will say, I do think there needs to be some kind of regulatory or government intervention in to stop the likes of Twitter, Facebook, so do I, all that, yeah. just kicking everyone yeah. off unilaterally. There's no there's no accountability. They could kick us off for this podcast and they wouldn't even give us a reason. They'd just say, you said a thing that, that flouts our terms and conditions. We're not even going to say what it is that you said yeah. or what term and condition you flouted. You were just off, see you later, fuck off. Yeah. Back to the thing I, I was talking about at the start of power and who decides. Well, they get to decide. It's their platform. Yeah. Um, and so they, I think there does need to be regulation and, and intervention. It's just this one is like a... It's not only bad in and of itself, it's also a missed opportunity to do it well. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, and, and all they really need to do is, is insist on transparency. But- Let's say they kicked this podcast off. They'd have to publicly state precisely why it was kicked off, what our crime was. Yeah. That's. I think that would be the solution. Just transparency. Yeah, something like calling Nadine Doris a cunt. <laughs> exactly, which I'd never do. 
So actually, you know, we, we keep alluding to um, the. Uh, actually, yeah, we never say that word, do we, on this pod? That's a you've you've transgressed. Oh, right, he's going to have to bleep that then. You've trans- a, it's it's deep enough that I don't. You're right. That, <laughs> if one of our bosses gets this far in, then fair play to him. Um, that's true. I mean, I say sort of fucking shit and all that quite a lot, but that's the one word I restrain myself from saying. Well, I never swear, so I'm make, making up for it. You're by, saving it up. You condense it by, by using that one. That's condense like it 10, into an ten of them. You condense it into an Uber swear. Um, but uh, where was I before I was thrown off by your shocking obscenity? I was just, I was just testing whether she's. You oh yeah. Know, whether she's watching well, so the yeah. So going back, like outside of telecoms, so this week in in UK politics, which I imagine other readers are aware of, because it's been that dramatic. We basically had most of the government resign, yeah. because because Boris Johnson. It, it was it was sort of a straw that broke camel's back. We had lots of things going on, like he was out on the piss when everyone else was locked down. He's done this, that, and the other. And then we had this one thing where this guy that he was protecting um, is, is a, a bit of a serial sex pest, and and then he lied to his own party about it. And anyway, he, he basically lost the confidence of his party, and they all started resigning. Um, and now he's had to resign as prime minister and leader of the Tory party. So we're going to get a new leader and thus prime minister before long. And I think, look, I who's your money on? If it was me, if I get to choose someone, it would be Steve Baker, because he's the most classical liberal, Brexity, small government kind of guy, because as we know, Pierre, that's my thing. Um, whether or not he'd be any good as a prime minister, I've got no idea. But he, his, his sort of general political and philosophical, philosophical positions most closely aligned to mine. I what about Tom Tugendat. Tugendat. What about you? Who would you pick? Have you given it any thought? Well, Dominic Cummings. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't, I don't know much about Tom Tugan. Yeah, just trying to work he, out the ones who got the most. I like the name. idea of it being somebody who's not a front runner, not a sort of core cabinet. I think, I mean, people. So not Rishi Sunak or Priti Patel. Just, or... It's not going to be Rishi Sunak because I think he's 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 too tarnished too, by the whole. Everyone's non, pissed non off with him being so minted stuff. And yeah, I think that's just. Well, it calls the problem with that is not that it was necessarily all that bad. It causes judgment into question a bit, yeah. really, I and whether think. or not he um, gives a fuck. Yeah. Because um, he's proper rich, isn't he? I just he's think, like I think these people rich. who've been associated with Johnson. Rishi Sunak. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It, well, his missus. Well, I think it's from his missus mainly. Well, no, I think he's done all right. Yeah. But his missus is part of a family that where they're just... Ah. She's just like... Silly money. Well, isn't she... Is, it, is she Indian, his missus? Yeah, she's not she's quite Ambani to, level, but she's getting close to... I thought she was close to the Ambanis. I don't, I don't probably. know, maybe not. I, probably. I probably got that wrong. But the, the, the thing that I was... I mean, we're off on a massive tangent now. Yeah, we'll, we'll wrap up in a second. But I just think it needs to be somebody who's not associated with Boris. Therefore, yeah. all these cabinet figures, none of them. It shouldn't be any of them, no. I don't think. It needs to be somebody who's come from a sort of backbench position, really, to I me. I think so. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, but, yeah. I agree with that. Um, but it's interesting, actually, because in some in some ways, Bojo, for all his flaws as an individual, hasn't done a bad job. Um, I see no, one's, know, no one's putting Pretty Patel forward. No, she's, she's, <laughs> she's an oaf. She's like a Nareen, Nadine Doris level of oafishness, yeah. as far as I'm yeah. concerned. Um, but she, maybe she hasn't done a bad job. There's been sometimes I supported her when when she was fighting civil servants in the Home Office. Yeah, I was like, go for it, pretty. You sock it to him. But yeah, I, as a public speaker, she irritates me. But um, yeah, I mean, Bojo hasn't necessarily done a bad job on a lot of signature levels. I mean, he did a great job with Brexit for someone like me who wanted to see Brexit through. Um, he seems to have done a good job with Ukraine, at least yeah, superficially. I agree with that. Yeah. 
Um, uh, he did a sort of middling job in, in the lockdown. I think he locked us down too much, but he's in good company on that one. And at least he got, got got it going on the vaccines and all that shit. He did. And I know people will always go, oh, it wasn't really him, it was the NHS. But it needs government direction. He did say that, though. He did say he thanked the NHS for keeping him going as in like... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, frankly... You mean when he was ill himself? It wasn't the no, NHS. No, no, but it, no. When his farewell speech, he said yeah. something like, thank you for the NHS for it, keeping me... Go- but, uh, yeah, me- so he was referring to himself. This is one of the problems... But the vaccines thing it, wasn't the NHS, by the way, because the government had to agree on supply. On, they bought yeah, yeah. loads of... And they got so those Czar in Europe, mate, isn't they? they didn't go out and and purchase lots of Pfizer, lots of this, exactly. lots of that. They just yeah, it was really embarrassing for the EU basket. that we were doing better than them. Well, and that's why they got so frustrated with AstraZeneca. It's like, oh, you've let us down, because that's what, that's what they'd gone for, and mm. it couldn't be delivered to them. So, so anyway, I mean, to wrap it up, it, he tangents. hasn't, in terms of policy, in terms of doing his job, he hasn't been that bad. He's just such a flaky, lying, yeah, that's the problem. slippery, yeah. unreliable individual. Um, and so people equate him to Trump. He's obviously a different person, but they both have that. They're, they're people who haven't necessarily done a bad job in office, but are just such personally divisive characters. And so anyway, the, the difference between the US and the UK is that the Tory party just decided to get rid of him by everyone resigning. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. Um, anyway, before we go further down that rabbit hole, which has got fuck all to do with telecoms, why don't we wrap it up? And, uh, and say thank you very much for listening. Make sure we, we've only got a couple more before the summer holidays. Mm. So make sure you grab them. Cheers. Cheers.